Welcome back, everybody, to the Rogue Retro Smackdown Review. I'm your usual host, Scott McLeod. I am contractually obligated to be here. I mean, I love talking about 2000. Uh, I'm here with another episode of Smackdown, the March 9th, 2000 episode of Smackdown. It's a few more weeks ago until WrestleMania 2000. And joining me as he did last week, because he did enough to, to get through to this, we've got to see Harry Ferris with another episode. Uh, Sam Preston joining me once again. Yes, I have lasted longer than the war sec- uh, live spirit of let's have a random guest. I've actually been brought back for a second week. So take that, Bob Barker and Snoop Dogg and all of you <laughs> lot. I get brought back a second time. I've had a longer reign than bloody Bob Backlund's second WWF championship. All right, go there. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the goal we all wish to aspire to. Obviously, because you start off small and then hopefully you end up with a CM Punk title reign. Um, I'm not going to go for a fucking Bruno San Martino reign because by that point, we'll, we'll, we'll probably be both old and grey. So it's not going to happen. Yeah, probably not go that far. But we, we, did a, we had a lot of fun last week, but we talked about it ahead of time. But also, if you're watching, the, if you're at home watching these episodes with us, and I hope you are, uh, before listening to this, or if you want to hear us tell you what happened, so you don't have to dig out. As we said a bit last week, you could have checked out a lot of good stuff from last week. This week, well, you can check out if you're if you're a fan of handicap matches. Then I think that it's very clear that this is the one worth checking out. If not, maybe don't waste your time. Yeah, unless you've got a, a particular handicap fetish and that's how you spend your evenings uh, whiling away your own pleasures, then don't bother with this one because, I mean, I even had to title this episode in my notes The Car Park because it had multiple handicap spots. It was ridiculous. <laughs> uh, it was absolutely ridiculous, but I'll allow you to go into detail of just how ridiculous it fucking is. Yeah, uh, very clever with the handicap. <laughs> <laughs> Brother, if I if I was a more professional or clever host, I would have thought of my own joke. But you know, I, you've done it for me. That's what I'm here for. I I'm like a non creepy Jerry the King Lawler, and you can be Jim Ross. <laughs> yeah, good JF, not current day Jim Ross. Yeah, <laughs> I can remember. I can remember people's names. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go with uh, Scott Ross. There we go. That could work. <laughs> we call you call you SR. I'm sure that will work perfectly, won't it? Yeah, I'm sure we won't get into any issues with that. No. <laughs> but as we always do, we need to go back to Monday Night Raw to talk about what happened. You need, well, you probably don't need to watch the SmackDown because, like, the opening segment is like recapped so often uh, on SmackDown because, like, you get a recap at the start of the opening segment of Raw and everything that happened with Triple H, Big Show, and The Rock, and then you get it later on again from that exact same segment and the Smack of the Night, which is that we still even happen on that night. Uh, where basically Shane and Big Show open Monday Night Raw and then despite the fact that at the start of Raw we get a replay of what happened at the end of SmackDown when there was the where Big Show and Triple H were teaming up but then they couldn't get along Shane then comes out and shows what happened on SmackDown where Triple H actually got out with a chair and then he shows immediately what happened after the match which I think we forgot to mention the, uh, basically Triple H shoving Shane and the heels nearly coming to blows and like it shows those two replays of what happened on SmackDown. I'm just like, you recapped SmackDown before Raw, the intro to Raw started. So I just seen it. Fuck off. <laughs> I yelled, fuck off, Shane, at my television. Like, I've already seen it. 
and it's especially frustrating when I get it like this, or constantly replays for me. Because usually, when we're, and I'm, I like to watch the best SmackDown and uh, the following Raw, usually very close together for these episodes, and so they're all they'll be all that fresher to me than they would have been people watching at the time. Mm. All together, more frustrating than I'm getting it replayed for me. Like I saw it, I made notes of it. <laughs> I, I feel like it would be so much easier for you if you just did a recording of yourself saying fuck off Shane and instead of actually having to say it each time just play the recorder so you can save your voice when it comes to the actual episodes but um, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's kind of like when you watch a binge session and then it does the previously on and each time you're like skip that shit I've just watched five episodes I don't fucking need that thank you very much so I, I, I do not envy you having to re-see the same things probably three or four times in the space of three hours and then in this promo Shane says that Triple H has basically brainwashed Stephanie that he's got her acting like and looking like a cheap slut which they also they keep re like the show at the start of Smadron and the show in the smack of the week or whatever it is later on Stephanie slapping Shane for those comments but they just show her comment mention the fact that he called her a cheap slut they don't actually show Shane saying it so it's just definitely going as far as me, looking like a cheap slut goes, and then she slaps him. Like, it's all, if, you just, if you just watch that in isolation, it looks like Stephanie's calling herself a slut for no particular reason, just so she can slap Shane across his face. But she does have a very slappable face at this period of time. But. <laughs> uh, to be fair, I, I didn't know the context of it. So when I was watching those clips, and she was like, as far as me being a cheap slut, and I was like, well, where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, it makes it look like she's slapping Shane for no reason, as if he's just the accidental uh, brunt of her fury. When in actual fact, in context, he is the reason that she's being called it, and he deserves that slap. So it's weird editing there to make Shane almost seem like an innocent victim when he's c- the complete opposite. And it always feels a little bit disconcerting when you hear someone call their own sister a slap. <laughs> and there. Uh... So obviously there's some dissension between these two and also they're teasing this WrestleMania match. Triple H says that uh, Triple H, uh, Big Show isn't even in his league and then they make some matches for each other later on basically soften the other up. Uh, they've got Big Show versus Kane and Triple H versus Rikishi. And um, both matches really end in DQ because The Rock gets involved because The Rock says, well, if I'm not going to WrestleMania, I've got nothing to lose. So he can be involved himself in both matches. And so later on, they get together to decide we're going to take out The Rock and so they put The Rock in a steel cage match with Chris Benoit. Uh, I thought it was interesting that at the start of Raw, I didn't see like a cage hanging from the top of the, the arena that they can lower down. You know, this is like similar to when we talked about the Outlaws versus the Hardys, where they clearly didn't want to give away the fact that they were the live crowd, that there was going to be a cage match, don't to be that to be a surprise. Which means we get this really rushed together cage, which if you throw something into it with too much force, the whole side is just going to collapse. It's, I, I get the idea uh, in trying to make it seem like a surprise. I do understand that. But there's two issues to it is that one, you're, you're having to overcompensate to make sure that it's hidden and it, you end up creating a, um, a cage that's probably not actually that safe in comparison to normal. Um, all you need is one big show throwing someone against it and you're going to end up with Steve Austin going to WrestleMania again. Um, <laughs> And the second issue I think with it is that I'm still one of those that I I like a gimmick match to be like a big thing, um, to be like something you build up for. So I'd 
the idea of just on the night going, oh, we're going to make a cage match. And it just makes the cage match seem a little less special. Whereas if they had built it up and said, do you know what? On SmackDown, Rock will face Chris Benoit in a cage match. You've got a couple of days to like prepare for it and to build it up and make it exciting. But instead, the turnaround is way too quick and you just end up losing a little bit of the specialness of a cage match. That's the second issue for me. Those are the, those are the two things that I feel um, become a real issue when in that situation. Mm-hmm. Especially because like, uh, one of the last key spots is like, The Rock trying to climb out and Benoit is trying to stop him, but also Triple H is trying to climb over the other side to stop The Rock. And so also looking at the stability of the cage, you're kind of worried about what's going to happen. I may have made this joke last time that we did odd bit cage, but sorry if I'm going to use it again. Just All it takes is one, like two, much momentum going into the side of the cage, all four sides fall down like Lenny's house and uh, The Simpsons just like, please don't tell anyone how I live. <laughs> But uh, in this situation, it will all land on Triple H. So then instead of it being The Rock isn't going to WrestleMania, but Triple H versus Big Show is, it'll be a case of um, we're we're just going to have to vacate the title because we've broken our champion. (laughs) So it actually is like jokes about the stability of the cage. It actually is a good cage match. I would recommend going back. I mean, Rock and Benoit, they'd already faced off because Benoit actually got a win over The Rock. And only up to nowhere with thanks to the big show getting involved. So they say like, well, Benoit's a crippler. We want Rock taken out, not just beat. So we'll just have we'll have Benoit again because he beat the Rock before. And so also they, made, they actually made Benoit seem like the most like a really big deal. It's the most like biggest position. I think they've given one member, one specific member of the Radicals rather than just them as a group. Mm. So you can definitely tell Benoit coming in now of all of them is probably the one they've got most votes for. Uh, he gets in the main event spot against the Rock with a huge. I mean. There are times where one of them gets thrown in a cage where there's like the cage kind of moves a little bit and you think there's almost as big a, to it, that big a gap between the ropes and the cage. You could just drop down and escape you won the match. <laughs> just like when uh, when you try climbing over a fence and then you just realise the dog's actually made a hole underneath. So you can <laughs> just like go underneath and just get out and end up looking like so being birthed from the ground and it would just be so much easier. Like everyone's on top and then you just got the rock going, uh, see you fuckers, and just drops down and rolls out really easily. That would that would actually be pretty great. I would love that. Um I, I would like to have seen the cage match against Chris Benoit because I think um, the Rock and Benoit have some fantastic chemistry. It's still it's it's not perfect yet because they're still getting used to working together. But in later months, especially, I feel it, they demonstrate some tremendous chemistry together. And I'm really hopeful that I'm still on this show when we get to that because I would totally love to speak about those main events. But for the moment. It doesn't surprise me that the Rock and Chris Benoit in the cage match was really good. And I will say, I think the overall storytelling from what I saw on Raw with the little promo before SmackDown seemed really clever. The mixing of this brewing civil war with Triple H and Stephanie against Big Show and Shane and then juxtaposed with the battle against The Rock. It's like these three different elements all coming together and it's a really good example of building up anticipation for pay-per-view and leaving the audience uncertain of what will happen next and desperate to watch the next episode. I actually think it's really good storytelling from what I could see. Yeah, I mean, and Benoit does like, get a good, like, a lot. And on the rock, you know, he, 
If not, they're both like try to climb up, but then Rock slams as Benoit's face in the cage. He drops down, but he lands on his feet, so he was he's able to lowball the Rock and then power bomb him off the ropes to stop him from escaping. But eventually, Rock does let Massey get up. Triple H tries to stop him, as I mentioned before, but he gets knocked off and lands on the big show, knocking those two down. And the Rock uh, skates the cage. The heels then tries to throw him back into the cage to. Uh, to try and beat him down, but that goes wrong because now this time it's Triple H accidentally hitting the big show with the chair. Oh, God, these fools, how can they possibly get along? He's, they're on opposite pages. And what's weird is when they throw him back in the cage, Benoit's fucked off. Like, you don't actually see Benoit leave. Like, Benoit's been knocked down, like, off the cage, back into the ring, and then the rock escapes as a bit with Triple H. And then they throw him back in the cage, and, like, Raw's meant to be alive, so I don't think there's any edit involved. So I'm just watching this segment, like, where the hell did Benoit go? Did he, did he disappear? Did he actually... Was there a gap on the other side of the cage? You could just slide out of... Like, where the hell did Benoit go? Funny you mention that, because when I was watching the uh, the promo clips, if they hadn't mentioned that it's Chris Benoit, I would not have been able to tell you who it was he was facing, because I did not see Benoit at all. And I noticed that afterwards, it, like, he didn't seem to be in the ring. And I thought that was quite strange as well, especially, like, considering you would have thought Benoit would have gotten involved in the beatdown um, mm-hmm. as well, because that's his sort of character at the time. So it does feel quite strange, really, um, the way they set it up. Um, but mm-hmm. like you said, it's unlikely it was an edit. So it could just be the camera was sort of placed in the only area that Benoit couldn't be seen for. But even even that, it feels like a lot of effort. It's very strange, very strange indeed. And uh, I don't know what the thinking was there. What I do like about uh, WF around this time is that they do seem to lay the groundwork for things quite far in advance. Like shortly after uh, Triple H and Stephanie got together, they implied that Stephanie has a thing for Angle, which will come into fruition later in the summer. And later, the period you talked about with Rock and uh, Benoit, the matches they'll go on to have, you'll have uh, Shane in around there and a brief alliance with Benoit later on this year. And you, I think, with uh, Shane basically suggesting Benoit. They take out the rock for them. You guys think they're laying the groundwork where Shane already sees something and while he's done screen, sees something in Benoit, which explains mm. their later partnership. I don't know if that was intentional or maybe it'll just be a happy accident. I think at the time, the writer uh, for raw and smackdown was the type that um, I can't remember if it was Brian Gerritz. I think his name was the one who used to have think, it. That I think it was Chris Chris is the one you may be thinking of. Brian Gerritz was around there, but he was, I remember Brian Quartz mainly dealt with the Rock storylines, or like he worked with Edge and Christian, and like there's a story that Edge and Christian got almost got taken to wrestlers' court because uh, Brian Quartz I think collected action figures and they brought him some figures that they knew he, he, they thought he like, and the some guys in Balkan thought they were trying to bribe the writers to get better storylines. I think I remember that one, yeah. But I think you are right. It is um, Chris instead. And um, what, if I remember correctly, he because he came from television, he used to have like post-it notes showing kids his development of his storylines so that he could keep it consistent. So it wouldn't surprise me if he was already having it that he made a post-it note planning for this and then said, right, here's some potential for later on and made little notes down at the bottom of his po- of his notes or something like that saying um, few foreshadowing, future, etc. If if it was done nowadays, I would say it was completely accidental. If it was back then, I would I would not be surprised if it was intentional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things about Chris Christie. I think I've spoken about before, where like the Bruce Pritchard 
really downplayed how important he actually was in the overall lighting because like, by then they were already going into the format we have now with like a team of writers and so like Bruce Richard makes it, made it out to be like when he was around there was a kind of a more of a story thing it wasn't a case of just one guy being responsible for it and uh, he, okay, does come, some people thought that was coming across as him really downplaying and being kind of disrespectful like Chris Kresge who is no longer with us but he was trying to say that it wasn't just a one guy thing it was just there was everybody was chipping in at the time but something about Raw that I'll, I'll talk about as well is that we got a continuation of the hardcore title shenanigans you know so I'll be filling Sam in with any ones that he may have any hardcore title ones that he may have missed they might want to go back and look at uh, we had the Mean Street Posse grabbing a maybe quite early in the morning where they grabbed poor Tim White clearly out of his bed because he looks knackered and he's there telling put your referee shirt on and they basically break in he crashed all his hotel room by grabbing a running through him with a food service with a room service uh, trolley and try to take him out he scratches there in his pyjamas in a bathroom and they're all piling on them trying to try to get the pin but they're all throwing each other off they end up smashing lamps and vases over each other's head to try and get the pin and then that leaves Crash to escape. He just grabs the Harker tail, still in his bathrobe, just runs out the room. <laughs> and what's, what's also funny is that Rodney and Joey Az run after him. Pete Gas stops, looks at the actual tree of food that they used to ram into him. He just stays behind and starts eating the food. <laughs> Joe, I, I actually think I remember that clip um, because is it, it's like a white bathrobe, isn't it, uh, that he's wearing and uh, the bed is behind them and he gets knocked onto I think I remember little bits of clips of that and that was that that was a, the fact that they've already within like uh, just two or three episodes started showing the outlandish elements of what this hardcore 24-7 championship could be like is absolutely brilliant and the fact that they kept on using the Mean Street Posse to start off with, who are renowned for being jobbers, basically. They're, they're very unlikely to really get on top of stuff and actually win championships. Using them, I think, is a really good idea because it allows you to create Crash Hardy as this Harry Houdini who can escape from these seemingly impossible odds whilst also adding a bit of comedy. Because the Mean Street Posse are actually not that bad for comedy purposes they're just not brilliant wrestlers which explains why they didn't do much for their career but i love i i remember that clip and i love it and i probably am going to go back and watch it afterwards i have to admit uh, later on christ does have a match with viscera uh for the title uh again it's another one of those like immediately go to the backstage there viscera just beating the crap out of crash with all sorts of weapons and they sprawl into the apa's office where viscera gets knocked through the door and he lands, like, he hits the table and knocks off the cars. He knocks into their beer, which annoys the AP. They just start beating them up. <laughs> and, like, I don't know if it's really a 2 by 4 but it's just a big block of wood that Farouk uh, gets. He just smashes it over this sort of crash immediately pins him. He celebrates, turns around, and Bradshaw just clotheslines him anyway for the hell of it. <laughs> <laughs> See, that probably wasn't even planned. It was just they accidentally stumbled in, and Bradshaw went, all right, now we're going to kick some asses. Because <laughs> what's, what's Crash Holly going to do against Bradshaw and Farouk? It's absolutely brilliant. I lo- um, again, two of my, fa- my favourite storylines of the entirety of 2000, the APA and the Hardcore Championship, already starting to get entwined together and building upon one another. And you can get some really interesting matches ups because of it. Um, 
Oh, I'm, I, this, these are going to be such highlights, I admit. I can't wait to see. And any time Fissura loses, for me, is a positive because he's useless. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> let's, not, let's not be too harsh on, on Big Viss. You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Apart from, apart from being able to demonstrate the usefulness of uh, big men pajamas and dressing gowns, <laughs> I don't feel he's very beneficial apart from being knocked out and then left behind. I mean, last week he like he got so little reaction from the audience that Tess sounded like Stone Cold Steve Austin in comparison. Yeah, you know, he's the, he's not he's not a benefit at all. Um, and the only reason he's kept in is because he's big, and that's it. I have a weird I have a weird thing about Mister. Like I can enjoy him, but also. I don't want to see him wrestle very long matches, as everybody can tell from my very my very disappointment at his match with Mark Henry from No Way Out, even though that even though that only went three minutes. So, so if you want to hear more about our, my love of uh, Mabel more so than Viscera, check out our King of the Ring '95 watch along in the archives if you guys haven't checked it out already. But we start SmackDown with again the big recaps of everything I haven't done wrong. I've seen it. Uh, I, we thought it was mad in with the recaps of what I've done raw. Triple H and Stephanie come out on the stage and I thought, oh, here we go. But then I took the same stamp. Only 10 minutes on this one, which is an improvement. Uh, so they come out. They probably give him anything. Out comes the big show and Shane. And then they really just start annoying us by like going, I know what you want. You want to see me. Basically, if Shane says you want us to see him punch Stephanie, like, I know she's a wound. Uh, I know she's a heel, but like, basically, he's like, I know what you want. You want me to come out here and smack a woman? Like, no, Shane, that's not what I want to see. I mean, I know I know she's a bit of a, a coward this time, and she's annoying on television, but, like, just please don't hit a woman. And, <laughs> like, in this relation, and, she, and Shogun, like, you guys want to see us go at it right now, don't you? Like, not particularly, no. Like, we're, we're not going to give you that. And so they make a bunch of handicap matches, literally. Stephanie and Triple H, they're like, buddy, Oprah, you get a handicap match. You get a handicap match. Everybody gets a handicap match. You know, there's a, we are not joking when we refer to this as a multiple handicap spot episode. It's absolutely ridiculous. They reel off so many matches in the space of a couple of minutes that get added. And you can just imagine like the, uh, in the background, the referee is going, oh, fuck. As they realize their work is basically doubled um, because of all of this. But um, the cheers when Shane suggests about slapping Stephanie is actually quite an unfortunate moment because it basically comes across as if the fans are hoping for violence against women and it's a little bit uncomfortable, but I, at the same time, Stephanie is just so good at being unlikable that it's, it's not entirely a surprise. I just wish that Shane hadn't suggested about slapping Stephanie because it's almost like he was playing to the crowd and playing to their um, unfortunate tendency to enjoy violence against women really makes this scene uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And then also, like, also, like, Triple H and Stephanie and then Shane are all making a match because they've got a, belt, a power, but then suddenly Big Show coming in, like, he's got the authority as well, and then he announces when the handicap matches. But just the Big Show's voice makes me not take him seriously when he's trying, when he's making a match. Like, oh, tonight. We're gonna have so and so, and I'm actually like, shut up, Big Show. You're just, you're just a big one that's there to stand there. Just, I mean, I, I mean, I look forward to your commentary on Dark Elevation, but at this period in time, you're not around for your promo ability. 
Yeah, it's um, it this it seems back at the time when I don't know whether his tongue was extra swollen during this period because he does sound like he really struggles to speak. He sounds quite similar to Andre the Giant, which really ties back to the fact he was supposed to be Andre's son. Um, but the it's weird that nowadays um, he is a lot more um, coherent in his messages. Uh-huh. And I'm, I'm quite glad about that. I have to admit, because when you can actually understand what he's saying, he's actually very funny, but in this one, he's just trying to be tough. And even though he's naturally intimidating, I think his character is, is, is actual character in real life is not, is naturally quite dry and funny and that sort of thing. And it doesn't play to his strengths as much. He put, he works much better as a heel when someone else is speaking on his behalf, such as Shane McMahon or Paul Heyman or someone like someone like that who can do the actual heavy lifting for him. His main thing is that if he can stay there looking intimidating, it works better for his character. You know, it's one one of those cases where you should accentuate his strengths, which is that he's a big scary bastard, and um, hide the negatives, which is unfortunately he's not that great on the mic at this time. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I think maybe maybe sounds better now because he quit smoking. I don't know if he still smokes, but I heard he smoked a lot quite back well back here. Like, I think there was times in WCW where he'd come in the ring smoking. So maybe that's one of the things that makes him sound clear. But Jerry's just like, I'm a giant. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a real giant. I'm a big man. It's like, sweetie, if you have to tell them you're a big man, then you've already lost. Okay? Don't bother. And I'm going to WrestleMania. And she's like, yeah, sure you are, pal. Just sit there and shut up. Yeah, just just sit there and and look intimidating. That's fine. Don't, Don't worry. And so we got several anti-care matches, but we got Kane versus Road Dog and X Pop. We got Big Show and Triple H against Rikishi in the main event, and we said that the Rock's going to take on Saturn and Benoit from the Radicals. And then Stephanie promises a surprise for the Rock after uh, his handicap match, which goes, "Oh, what's that going to be?" And they talk about that all through the the, the Rock match that comes up in a bit. But before that. We've got another hardcore title segment. Yay! Yes! <laughs> I am legitimately excited. Although, quickly, before we go into this, I'd just like to say that I find it slightly daft that you have it that Kane gets announced as facing Road Dog and X-Pac in a handicap match. And that's what Kane wants anyway, so it's not actually mm-hmm. a punishment. And also, the fact that they're supposed to be Triple H's mates. Why does he allow that to happen? That to me, that to me was a section where I was like, I'm not sure that re- that really makes sense character-wise. And I I was curious about that one. But we'll, we'll go into more detail when we actually get to this match. Yeah, I, I do agree with you. Because like Kane uh, wants to fight Xbox and Xbox doesn't want to fight Kane. And he makes it apparent later on. So it is weird. Like, saying, like putting Kane against Triple H and show would have made more sense than giving... Road Dog and Xbox for Kishi, that would have made more sense. Or maybe just don't put Kane in the handicap match at all because, you know, we, you gave him one last week. Yeah, yeah. Or you could have actually saved that match from last week for this week where it makes more sense. But again, try not to use the Dudley boys. I, do, do you know what? If, if we keep on going down this spiral, we're going to end up cross-eyed. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, so I think it's best to go where there's something positive to talk about, like the hardcore title, where you've got Mean Street Posse at some laundromat, and they've got poor Teddy Long uh, dragged along with them, and they go and they're looking around for grass. So it looks like there's a legit people here who are just there to do their laundry who don't know why some guys in sweaters are dragging a poor defenseless uh, black man in a referee shirt while a cameraman follows them. <laughs> but, like, they're all just looking around, and then Grash spots them coming, he throws powder, and like Rodney's eyes, they're everybody's brawling. Again, they still can't fight or the cover, even though outside Rodney said that he was going to get a cover. And then Joey, uh, sorry, Pete Gass immediately, and not still at all, so like Rodney can see him do it, winks towards Joey as like, what are you doing? Like, no, I'm getting the fit. Of course, of course. And then it's like Crash escapes once again with the hardcore title. Just give me all your thoughts on this. This, so the first thing I, I had to admit was that um, the fact that the they went in uh, the Me Street Posse and they're asking the owner whether or not he's seen Crash Holly and his response is, well, Elroy Jetson. And I, I thought, okay, that's fucking genius. I love that. That did actually, that made me laugh. And um, it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of the people there didn't know what was supposed to be going on because you see like um, Rodney going up to people and saying like, you seen Crash Harley, the hardcore champion? And they're like, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> and that's sort of thing. But um, I love the fact that Crash escapes because all three members start fighting each other. And that, and that, again, is another aspect of the hardcore championship that will become quite, quite prevalent and obvious as we go through is that a lot of the time, because anybody can win it, they all end up fighting each other for the right to win it. So uh, that's one of the things that really helps crash as we go along is that it's a divide and conquer sort of thing because only one person can win it none of them are, are willing to stand aside, especially the Mean Street Posse. Really, really, it doesn't surprise me because they're from Shane's background. You wouldn't be surprised if they were the sort of selfish lot. They'd be like, no, I'm not standing aside and letting you go. You can only imagine what they were like if they were interested in the same woman. Um, <laughs> so it's so it doesn't surprise me at all. And during this, it's really weird. As, they, as they're walking in, I, have you ever seen the TV show It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Yeah, I swear down. Rodney looked like Mac for a brief second <laughs> as I was watching it. So I just only had visions of the entire gang from "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia" trying to win the Hardcore Championship, and then instead of Crash Holly, I was just trying to imagine Danny DeVito running off with the Hardcore Championship, and I was just like. I fucking love it. I would love to see that. So what I want to see next is the gang wins the hardcore championship and that can be a new tie-in. Um, those were the thoughts I had regarding this one. And it just, it is the sort of um, scene that, yes, not much, not, there's nothing long-term developed from it. This isn't going to be a major feud or anything like that. But for one-off episodes, it's an enjoyable segment that puts a smile on your face. And that's what you want in this sort of situation. Make things fun so it's not a, a, a strain to get through. Like, I don't mind sitting back and watching these moments because they just really suit and really add to the overall story. So... I thought I, I love the fact it started off with this segment. I have to I have to admit it was like considering this is straight after what felt like a 10, 15 minute um promo to kick off the event, which, you know, obviously kicking off with a match last week and it being one of the better shows we've watched in a while, they did not take on that on board and decided let's start with a promo again. So coming straight into a hardcore championship instantly brings some levity to the moment and allows you to enjoy it. 
So mm-hmm. uh, I'm very happy with this uh, with this setting. I have to admit, and this scene, and I can't wait to watch the uh, watch the next time. I mean, I, I definitely think Crash is definitely if this is all said, he'd be the, he'd be Charlie. Charlie would be the Crash Holly that's like running away with the title. So I do agree. Like, yeah, actually, I think Rodney's more of a Dennis kind of character, whereas Joey Abs is Mac. Uh, I think by default, Pete Gas a Frank, but I've always thought Pete Gas looks like Colt Cabana looking into a funhouse mirror. Yes, he does actually. So I, like, every time I look at him, I always think he looks a little bit similar. And then, like, I, I have to admit, I've never really connected, and now I actually get it. So now, next time I watch AEW Dynamite and I see Coke Cabana with the Dark Order, I'm going to be like, man, Pete Gas has really gone downhill over the last few years, hasn't he? So. <laughs> But there's no way, no way at all, that Pete Gas was ever as good a wrestler as um, Colt Cabana. Because for one thing, if I ever got told that Pete Gas was the NWA champion, <laughs> I probably would no longer be interested in the NWA title. Whereas Colt Cabana is good enough to all, uh, earn it. They mm. just see Colt Cabana coming out with like silver and rails, like, wow, Rodney and Pete Gas really buffed up in over the years, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> just like. Hmm. Do you know what? I never thought I'd be that into the Mean Street Posse. Now I want the Dark Order to come out to the Mean Street Posse theme song, which is like. If it, it feels like um, you should just have like um, Monk or like really bad detective show, uh, just like chilling out in the foreground as like a murder happens in the background. <laughs> I I actually kind of like Mean Street Posse's theme song, and I do think that. Um, Joey Abs is one is a lot better than expected. There's a reason why he was brought in as the wrestler to look after them. Pete Gas and Rodney should have just become the new Stooges. They <laughs> like just have it that if Shane when Shane McMahon becomes like the main um, authority figure, like on SmackDown, for instance, they should have brought back Pete Gas and Rodney to be his own version of the Stooges or um, Mercury and Nobo and that sort of thing. <laughs> and that you just have the nostalgia and just be like, yes, that is awesome. Because one thing they're good at is getting beaten up, you know, because <laughs> they can't defend themselves. So um, it just watching this bit makes me think, oh, you could have uh, you could have had more options with these guys. So if we could have them either. Uh, cosplaying as it's always sunny in Philadelphia characters, or we can have them come back as uh, the new Stooges, then I'm happy. You got my vote. <laughs> you really need to do that the next like, Halloween episode of Dynamite. Just Cabana and a couple of other guys from Dark Horror just come out as the Mean Street Posse and just the sweater <sighs> vest and everything. Yeah, just oh, that would be absolutely brilliant. And then just have it that um, if Hangman Page becomes like the new leader of the Dark Order, have him come out doing the Shane Shuffle. <laughs> uh, and just like, imagine him trying to imagine Shane trying to do the buckshot lariat. I feel like you you send over the ropes and then just collapse from exhaustion. Um, but at least Adam Page would be able to call himself the best in the world. <laughs> uh, next up, we have our first uh, handicap match of the evening. We have The Rock taking on Saturn and Benoit. Rock basically does it because he's all promo at the start saying that it doesn't matter. What roadblocks are putting his way, he'll go through them because he's a people's champion. Everybody's obviously hot for everything that The Rock says. He says they already dealt with Benoit on Raw. He says, Saturn, you got one eye looking that way, one eye looking that way. Because you come out of here, I'll knock that lazy ass straight. 
Oh, oh, I absolutely loved that. Um, whipping Benoit's monkey ass as he put it and talk about Saturn's lazy eye. And when he's saying like, when when he says I'm going to slap Saturn so hard, he finally has 2020 vision. I'm not going <laughs> to lie, I spluttered my drink everywhere when I when I saw that scene. I thought that was brilliant. He's the rock. It's just so blistering when it comes to his promos it's absolutely amazing but um i don't know whether you noticed this at all but i'm pretty sure that um during the um there was actually screams of excitement so high i think i got feedback from my headphones uh <laughs> it was it was really mad um so it was like everyone was absolutely um like raving in anticipation i was like right this is how you start off a fucking event um like if they had cut straight to this instead of the promo uh beforehand and just let it happen then i think it would have been brilliant now this is the highlight of this uh, entire segment because it goes downhill from here what's well, right thing about starting is that ian malenko beat edge and christian on raw because teddy like did a dramatic fall on the outside as if he was hurt and then when Edge went to check on her, she just slapped him in the face, which means Edge wasn't there. He like stopped Christian being pinned by Saturn and Malenko. And I actually thought uh, Terry was going to leave with the Radicals, which he didn't, because I know randomly they pay they pair Terry and Perry Saturn together for no reason. I guess they thought Terry would be the would be a shot of charisma for for Perry Saturn. So I thought, was this where that starts? But no, that it was just a Terry being Terry for some reason. So we had the Rock against. Despite also giving, having some back and forth with Benoit and Raw and having say, yeah, a really good like, cage match, The Rock easily overcomes the numbers here. Like It doesn't look really at any point that, well, it doesn't look for much of the match that their numbers aren't, are that much of a problem. You should have just had Malenko involved as well, just so there was a bit of peril for The Rock because he's quite like, in control for a lot of it. Benoit does come in when he's not meant to be to help give the advantage, but Saturn hits a. Saturn works over The Rock forever, but then gets caught with a spine buster. German Suplex by Benoit. The Rock gets a rock bottom. I, I can't remember on which one, but the Rock gets a win and then is immediately beat up by the Radicals. Like, all of them just come in and start beating him down, which makes you think, what was the point in the match again? Which is like, Rock easily beats two members of the Radicals, then all four of them beat him up afterwards. Mm. Um, I actually, I made the notes for this one because I was thinking to myself that um, why I can kind of get... The Rock surviving the handicap match and winning. I'm not. I still. I still d- don't agree with it. But I can. Un- I can sort of get why they would have the Rock win. But the biggest issue for me is the fact that I do feel it shouldn't have come across as easy as it did because I actually checked the times and it took him 130 seconds to beat Benoit and Saturn. It was Saturn who he pinned after the rock bottom because I made those notes as well because I remember that Benoit was in the background and seemingly couldn't stand up. And it's like, dude, mm-hmm. you, you, all, you, all that happened was a DDT. Um, and I just feel that considering the good work they did the previous week with the Radicals in preparing them, this week is like a massive step back, I feel. And um, I, I, the thing is, is that if the Radicals are going to have it, they attack him afterwards instead of having that come across as a very hollow moment which it does because at that point they've already been beaten it said it really comes across as if the aim was more for them just to hurt the rock and in that mm-hmm. situation i feel it would have made more sense to just have it the radicals beat up the rock so much that they get disqualified and uh-huh. then the rock the rock still wins but 
the aim of the radicals, which surely would be what had been requested from Triple H and Stephanie, etc., was to make The Rock injured and weaker. And that, I feel, storyline-wise, would actually go better with the next section, which you'll obviously go into detail with regardless, Stephanie. But I feel like it would be a weakening of The Rock and allow him to technically win by disqualification so he still keeps a uh, a good winning streak, but the radicals don't look damaged because they're not beaten because um, The Rock was too much for them. They get beaten because they're too vicious and mm-hmm. it speaks to their characters more. Um, and it avoids the uh, issue of having it that Benoit and Saturn lose in 130 seconds, um, which for me is absolutely ridiculous and so short-sighted, which is one of the issues I always hate is when um, – w- and it happens way too often, I feel, especially in WWF, where they make a short-term decision that has long-term negatives – like they don't, they sometimes they seem to throw out a de- throw out a decision, and so I would do that, and don't really feel think through the ramifications. Um, I definitely would have preferred it if it had been a case that, like, because The Rock meets Saturn and Benoit on the ramp and starts battling them before the match, so it's already set up. If you literally just had it, they don't even end up getting in the ring, and the radicals just absolutely destroy them to the point that the referee just throws the match out and. Uh, or the rock wins by disqualification because uh, Saturn and Benoit can't be controlled. That to me makes more sense. So mm-hmm. booking wise, I did not like this match. Um, I don't think it's a great match. It's, it's way too quick for what happens. Um, and I feel that it's an unfortunate indication for how the rest of the night is about to go. Yeah. I mean, cause they don't care about West Malenko and, and Guerrero. Usually, you see all the radicals like, together whenever one of them or two of them have a match. And so, like, have it either add in Malenko to make it three on one to further stack against the Rock, even better, or at least having like Malenko and Guerrero out there to like cause distractions. So, like, one of them distracts the rev, and the other one can come and pass a weapon to Malenko and start to Saturn and Benoit to at least match go a bit further. So, it looks like the Rock's in somewhat of peril, but also then. Like, you don't even let the rocks pin Saturn like before he even gets a chance to pin they pull the rock out and start beating him up like you said beat him up with a numbers advantage and like at least it means that they've done what they needed to do they hurt the rock because that was the whole purpose of putting Benoit in against the rock in the first place because it was to hurt him because I forgot to say when I was describing the cage match there were points early in the cage match where Benoit could have climbed out but Triple H and that were yelling at him like don't escape like hurt him more we want him like crippled and yeah. so that was also part of the kind of enforcers of the role they found themselves in because that's what they've been doing since they aligned with DX. They've just been there to like hurt people. And mm-hmm. so that would have been better with their character. So I definitely agree with what you're saying about that. But then, like, as soon as the magical we see Stephanie and Triple H, everybody in their locker room, oh, I realize this, uh, this alliance they call, they call, they keep referring to Stephanie, Triple H, Big Show, and Shane as one kind as this alliance or this coalition. <laughs> they keep referring to them and uh, uh, because there's no comma in the middle it sounds like they're, it's all run together but uh, Michael Cole says that this is the match set up, one of the matches set up by the coalition and he says that the reason they're doing it is to punish their enemies but he says it all at once so that makes it sound like that's their full title of this group is the coalition to punish their enemies which sounds like Saturday <laughs> morning cartoon like villains like someone at the Legion of Doom Meanwhile, in the secret lair, the coalition to punish their enemies. 
<laughs> I love I love that. Um you could you they should have come up with a really bad acronym uh, uh for it as well, like uh uh capture, uh coalition to assault, punish and terrorize uh a something enemy. Something like that. Just like really lean into the ridiculousness of it and really make them come across as super villains. And this is this is very much the start of a lot of segments with Triple H, Stephanie, Big Show, and Shane, and it almost seems like they're trying to make up for the previous week. Considering like the previous week, you you said like uh, just for the main event, oh, we almost got through an entire show with no segments with Triple H and Stephanie, and then as a punishment, you have to watch them all the way through this episode and have them appear in every freaking segment. It feels like um, mm-hmm. I, 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 it's I. I, I like the idea of the coalition in terms of like um, being able to band together uh, for a common purpose, although there are still elements of it that at times won't make sense, such as, like I mentioned last week, uh, Triple H wrestling on Shane McMahon's behalf. Um, I'm actually, I'm actually thinking back, I'm starting to think a better option than the handicap match might have been. And this, I feel, would really tie in better is if they'd done it as a gauntlet match. Imagine if you had it that The Rock had to first face Dean Malenko, and then he had to face Perry Saturn, and then he had to face Chris Benoit, and you had longer matches, and it would make it more believable if The Rock wins because he's more used to being a main event single star, whereas these lot are used to being working as a team. But he gives each one an individual rub. But, um, you know, why have... Um, actual one-on-one matches when you can have two-on-one matches. Now, yeah. obviously, this is why I'm not in the writers' room. So. No, I mean that would have made a lot more sense for the radicals. You know, at least they can space out a little bit. You know, give it the match a little bit more time. Or like Kane Rikishi, if they don't like those guys so much, why don't just have them face each other? Aren't you force them to fight each other? Because you did it with the Rock and Rikishi a few weeks ago when uh, they started like be, being kind of allied, like when Tuku and Rikishi helped. Uh, the Rock and Cactus against the Radicals and TX on a fallen smash, and they made the Rock and Rikishi fight each other, or mm. like at least like a month or so ago. So like they can do that. I mean, they have the power to do so. Yeah, think- even, maybe even have it like Kane and Rikishi face each other, and if they act reluctant, you can say to them, Rikishi, if you win, you will get a title shot, and if you'll say to Kane, if you win, you'll get a one-on-one cage match with X Pack. Give them a reason to do it, and then mm-hmm. what will happen is that they will absolutely batter the crap out of each other. And then at the end, when one of them's absolutely exhausted and finally won, it will turn out, oh, you know, we said you'll get those rewards. Um, actually, that's going to happen right now. So you could have, for instance, mm-hmm. if Kane won, he suddenly gets attacked by X-Pac from behind and absolutely beaten with a chair and a cage descends and uh, X-Pac gets to win and really pisses off Kane even more. Or Rikishi, it could turn out, um, he'll get a title match but it's right now and Triple H comes down pedigrees him and pins him so yes it's a little bit bait and switch but it's where they put their enemies against each other give them a reason to fight so that they'll damage each other as much as possible and then use that against them it just seems like there are more intelligent options on how to make your opponents weaker rather than putting your own people at risk and Mm -hmm. it there's there's definitely there's the overall, I think the overall booking for this episode is very flawed with a lot of um, individual errors that make you question why they're doing what they're doing. Um, and this match really encompasses all of the issues I feel will come across in that the 
the booking behind it doesn't make sense of why it would be set up as it is. Uh, the two the teams don't actually come across that well because they usually either end, either lose or uh, they win barely through like uh, really obvious men, uh, tricks. And it's just like a lot of just like little errors that you think you could have done better. Again, you threw together an idea, said that would do, and you didn't consider it properly. But Stephanie, of course, is just going to add to this bollocks in a minute, isn't she? Mm-hmm. I think that with this segment, like, they lured me in with a false insecurity with a open sound key. So, like, oh, God, like, oh, the Stephanie and Triple H are going to come out. But, like, oh, it's only 10 minutes, so it's shorter than usual. But then, like you said, Stephanie comes back out yet again, and then we show people, like, backstage watching the matches like we saw during this one, even though it only went like a minute 30 or so, like you said. Mm. And then Stephanie comes out, she's got a surprise, cuts the break, and you're waiting with Beta Better in the break to see what happens with, with Stephanie's eyes. But she comes out on the stage, uh, yeah, I thought The Rock would still be in the ring, but apparently not. Uh, so she can tell him, well, you've got this other match later on, because she says that The Rock's got one more handicap match later on in the night, a handicap tables match with the Dudleys. But if The Rock wants to win, he has to put both of them through tables, but they only have to put him through a table, so again, The Rock's been beaten up and then the odds are further against them where he has to wrestle in what's slowly becoming the Dudley's type of match. And you know, sorts of words like, words like pulverized and stuff like that, you know, words that normal human beings don't use. This is basically where Stephanie got out her thesaurus or and just like, <laughs> I'm going to, or she got her word of the day because uh, it turns out for Christmas she got toilet well. Um, yeah, it's just, the, the, like even this, when you think to yourself, wait, the handicap tables match, does make sense. And I did like the fact that she made mention of the rock having to put both members through a table to win. I felt that it really does stack the odds a bit more. And it's that little extra wrinkle to it, which I feel would make a lot more sense. But what doesn't make sense is that a, why is it they're allowing the rock to go, uh, go backstage and heal up for an hour and then come back out for the match. Surely it would make more sense that they just went straight into it now in order to really punish the rock. And two, this would be much more of a challenge if the Dudley boys hadn't struggled so much against Kane the previous week. And this is Mm -hmm. another example, I feel, of short-term options having a long-term effect. Like, the tag team champions battling The Rock should seem like an actual challenge for The Rock. But considering what happened the previous week with Kane, it's just like, oh, it's just, it's the Dudley boys. So, oh, no. So you actually have to go above and beyond to have Rock weakened by an attack by the Radicals in order to make the Dudley boys look legitimate. Where it's, a, it's just, ev- Basically, every time Stephanie or Triple H reveals a new, a new wrinkle to it, you just make less sense of what's already occurred and then less sense of what's about to occur. And you just end up... like. At this point, I was already like writing up my notes, saying like, "This is not going well. This is this is really <laughs> bad, really bad storytelling." Because every every time you should you would make what should be the right decision, you seem to go out of your way to make the wrong decision. And I was I, at this point, I was thinking to myself, "This is either going to be a really terrible episode to get through, or it's going to be an episode with really random, rare moments of like positives, which." Talking of, what's that, <laughs> what happens next, Scott? Well, what I thought really was going to be a, big, a moment of positivity was the light heavyweight title was on the line for the second week in a row. <gasps> uh, it must be my birthday! <laughs> yes. Q, Q 
cue Christian's awful singles music at this time. Because, <laughs> you know, Christian's had some great music over the years, you knowing it as a singles wrestler. This is not one of those themes. This is this is something out of the old SmackDown games where you just give to somebody that you've created. Where Christian comes out to challenge Eti Rios for the light heavyweight title. And it doesn't go as long as him versus Jeff, or it really doesn't get as many like high moments as, as him and Jeff. Because Christian is kind of in control quite early on. Uh, once Eti Rios over the top does that kind of spring off the ropes over, to, over the top die that Christian does. Eti Rios does get uh, some advantage when Lita grabs. Uh, Christian's light behind the rest back, there's a moonsault. But then, this is weird. Leah tries to get involved, she goes into the ring, clearly not learning anything from last week. She tries to get involved, Edge comes in to stop her, he spears Leah, not for the first, not for the last time. But, and the referee calls for the bell, despite the fact nothing happened between the two people involved in the match. There's two outside people that haven't been in the ring, but they only got physical with each other. So the referee threw the match out. I agree a hundred percent in that um so I thought that the decision for Christian to get disqualified was completely ridiculous. I don't think there's any way the referees can justify that decision because at no like as you said, at no point do Edge or Lita get involved with either of the actual two competitors, and that's the only time a situation like that should occur. Because you like especially if you look at nowadays, for instance, you have, for example, um like a twenty-four-seven championship, they could run in the middle of a match, have their own little match, and then disappear, but the original match does not get any disqualification or thrown out because they don't, because the 24 seven competitors do not get involved in that match. What you're basically having is two situations occurring at the same time and they don't impact upon one another. And I found that really frustratingly stupid that Christian got disqualified. And um, I, I, I think the, the, the easiest way of describing it is that li- that my notes on here says Lita hits Christian with a moonsault. Edge then spears Lita. She will get used to that. And when I will <laughs> say, when I wrote that, that was without the connotation of their relationship. I was talking about their uh, the upcoming feud, and then afterwards, I read it and was like, okay, that came oh. across badly. And then I said, I mean, I, I mean, I, when I made, when I made the joke, I was I definitely meant the relationship, and I was I was so eager to get that joke out, I nearly fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> but then I either put Christian gets disqualified. That's ridiculous. It's also possible that I've urinated longer than that match. <laughs> I mean, it's possible. One of the funniest unintentional bits of foreshadowing in wrestling is, I think it's one during one of the TLC matches where they Leah try to stop Edge from claiming the ladder. You hear JR going, Leah just jerked Edge off. The stuff <laughs> alone. I remember that comment, and I, I actually we we watched that. Um, match after they got together um once or twice and each time you like you just double t- take and say did jim ross know something we didn't uh <laughs> absolutely ridiculous but um the there's the two biggest lasting thoughts i had after this match were probably one is sa rios's music based on smooth by rob thomas and santana um because that that is a question i feel i need answered and secondly the momentum that Edge and Christian had earned by becoming number one contenders is quickly dissipating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, 
they had a random bit of uh, dissension between Ethereum and Lita last week, even though that's not really going to go anywhere for the, until like a couple months from now. Then also, I think there's the thing where there, you saw last week, there's the tension between Ed and Christian, because again, they were still the consideration of maybe breaking them up, mm. which they thankfully would change their minds about. So I think it was just a case that they wanted to continue those two things, especially the Edge and Christian one. Because obviously Christian went, or would blame Edge for lose, costing him the prestigious light heavyweight title. Uh, so like you're continuing that, but then it doesn't do much rest you with a light heavyweight title because, like, again, you're featuring it on TV two weeks in a row uh, with actual title defenses against people who actually could make the light heavyweight division something worth checking out. And mm-hmm. so, obviously, putting Essie and the light heavyweight title on TV should be both be done to help elevate him and the division itself after a year and a half of fucking Gilbert being champion. But then it's just, uh, it's like, uh, we can't think of what to do here. We, yes, he is in there, he's a champion, but he's fighting more important people. Ah, fuck it, let's do another DQ. Yeah. It, um, it, it begins to taint the light heavyweight championship, which really had a good opportunity of being built up because of how capable S.A. Rios was actually in the ring. And it gets really frustrating to watch. And it actually, it eventually, it's going to end up feeling probably closer to Enzo Amore being cruiserweight champion than... Be then Neville, for instance, which was what you were hoping for when someone like S.A. Rios wins the championship. He's like he's someone with pedigree, with history as a uh, lucha libre wrestler, and there are capable wrestlers that he could have these matches with, and they just keep on ruining them and throwing them out. And it's almost like they're actually almost doing more harm putting the light heavyweight championship on SmackDown, which. You never thought you would say the whole point of these was to put the light heavyweight championship over, and instead, you're making it become renowned for um, short matches that go nowhere. And why that may work with the hardcore championship because it could have Crash Holly running away, it does not work with a SA Rios Christian or Jeff Hardy getting disqualified and not having a, a clear cut winner. I would almost find this acceptable if they were actually building up to something, but it's the fact that so far we haven't seen it being built up for anything. And if WrestleMania is to, is to go by at all, it won't be building up for fuck all. Yeah. Yeah. Cause fucking everybody can get on WrestleMania to those, except for the SA Rios and the light heavyweight title. By the way, it's, it's a very underrated title, especially the, the design it is at this point with the red strap and the gold, because I really like red. I think there are examples of when red on a title can work. Because, like, in the mid 2000s, they changed it to just a basic black strip, which makes it look like a, a basic bitch title. Because with a red strap, at least it stood out a little bit from what they had at the time, whereas it was just another belt as soon as they gave it the black strap. Mm. But, you know, this isn't the, it's the first, uh, if you don't count Crash all the other one, because the title's always on the line, but. This is the first of a few title matches we're going to have on this show. And the next one is going to include Kurt Angle, who's backstage, explains to some poor backstage employee what the Intercontinental and Intercontinental Championship means before it gets back to him coming out for his title defence. But we should talk about Monday Night Raw, where Kurt Angle defended the title against Chris Jericho, the IC title that is. And Angle eh, was annoyed that people cheer for Jericho more than him, calling him a long-haired, sideburned pretty boy. And he also called him a potty mouth. And Jericho came out and said that Angle smelled like B.O. 
They're a decent match. No, it's not as good as their match at No Way Out. Jericho accidentally knocks down the referee. Angle tries to use one of the title belts. Jericho stops him and locks in the walls of Jericho. Credit got mental because I think the referee's about to wipe back off again. But who comes out to save Angle but the human putty himself? Bob Backlund. <laughs> oh, God. Every time Bob Backlund appears, um, it's like at the same time, he looks like at the same time that he's aged and hasn't aged at all because his body always seems to stay the same. He still does the, um, um, duck, uh, the duck jump, uh, back and forth, etc. Uh, and he always looks like he's still physically the same shape, but then his face and hair always look mad. So in this example, his hair was absolutely insane. It looked like he'd basically, uh, stuck his dick into an electric, um, uh, socket and then it just shocked him up. Um, absolutely ridiculous. However, um, Bob Backlund is the sort of guy who you can just go, what the fuck? And then <laughs> move on. But, um, Jericho versus angle. Um, it's disappointing that they didn't have as good a match as no way out, especially as they are two very capable wrestlers. Um, and it, it, I'm st- the other thing I'm surprised at is the fact that yes, I get angled defending both championships, uh, especially like the fact that he defended the, uh, in, uh, the, into the, the European title on war. It just seems so weird to me that considering he has both titles and he defends them separately on different shows, I would have thought that the European title would be kept for SmackDown, which is supposed to be the B show, and that would be the B title in comparison. And the Intercontinental title surely would be defended on war to give it that bigger prestige. But in fact, they don't. They do it the opposite way around, which I find very strange myself. But um, then that may just be because uh, they thought, fuck it, that would do. I'm not sure. But this match overall was an interesting choice, I have to say, uh, to include, but I'll let you uh, build up for those who aren't sure what's actually happening. Yeah, because Angle, he defends Jericho and title on Raw, which makes sense because he's against Jericho, the guy who won it from in the first place, and also he drew a rematch. So I would have thought he would have defended the European failure, and not just because it's SmackDown, but because, well, Taz is his opponent, and Taz, despite being Angle when he debuted like, a couple months ago, isn't really, he's immediately slipped down the totem pole. And, like, Kazango comes out, and he's, he's there in Boston. He insults the sports teams of Boston. You know, typical cheap heel heat, you know. But then Taz comes out, and Taz doesn't bring up the fact that, you know, he deserves to hold both those titles because he choked Angle out twice, once in Madison Square Garden, you know, before Angle won either of those titles. No, nothing like that. He just starts talking about, oh, you got all that gold around your neck, all that gold around your waist, and I'm going to show you the real meaning of heavy metal. I'm like, what are you talking about, Taz? Which, if anyone watches AW Dark, you wonder that about Taz all the time. Yeah, if it, once Taz becomes a commentator, you kind of like get used to basically going, I have no idea what he's on about, but he made it sound funny. Um, you're on commentary, it's not too bad. They, you can sort of like get away with it a little bit more. But um, when he's... This could have been a big moment where he could make himself appealing to the crowd and get a good connection with them because it was starting to lose. He was starting to lose that connection a little bit, but instead he did like he, he tried to go for a funny quote and it just doesn't come across. And I think I like the fact they mentioned that Taz, Taz had previously defeated Kurt Angle at the Rumble, but I feel like 
they didn't really build upon that to make it a big deal. And it should have been a big deal considering that Taz was the one who ended Kurt Angle's streak. This should seem like a really impossible task. And instead, Kurt Angle is almost not bothered. He's not bothered. Like you can imagine him with Catherine Tate both just going, not bothered. You know, it's just, uh, com- he's so completely underwhelmed by the prospect of having to defend against Taz. But one of the few positives I will say is that there is a character-based moment that I noticed, which is that Kurt Angle seemed better prepared in this match. Like, for example, when he runs up the steel steps and uses it to dive on Taz, it's almost like a really good way of demonstrating that when Angle knows who he's wrestling, he is very good at preparing himself for it. But that's why he didn't win at the Royal Rumble because it was against someone he had no idea about because it was against this unknown uh, quantity, etc. I feel like they could have really tapped into that a little bit more and really put it across the difference in how Angle is reacting to it. But it ju- instead they just sort of did the match and it happened. But um, the finish especially um, I found interesting, but I'll let you discuss that one first. Yeah, so like you thought, oh, good, like Taz, you know, Angle again, maybe Taz will look like working some of them because yeah, the hardcore title match with, with Crash was decent. But the stuff with Boston and Albert did him no favour. So uh, immediately hits a suplex on Angle, sends him out of the ring. There's a weird point where Angle like goes throwing the steps, jumps over it, then dives back off the steps at the clothesline on Taz. Like, again, a very short match. You know, like, it feels like everything's going like very fast. Uh, Angle looks at the Olympic slam, but Taz slips at the back. It's a Taz looks on the Taz mission. So then again, Bob Backlund comes out and attacks. Taz walks in the... Uh, Walks in the uh, crossface chicken wing, and then Jericho comes out to make the, the save, and he grabs back when he puts him in the walls of Jericho. Angle randomly goes up to the top rope, and uh, early he, he gets put on the top rope by Taz, and Taz just suplexes Angle off the top. Not saying as a noise, he probably should be a bit back when costing him a chance to be an Intercontinental Champion. Uh, it's also not the best look for Taz that even though Backlund has that legit amateur wrestling background, and the uh, crossface chicken wing is a really legitimate submission move. Like, it doesn't make a good look for Taz that he's maybe a suplex machine. He's got the Taz, deadly Taz mission. He got easily like beaten by retired Bob Backlund with his chicken wing. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I like about the finish to some degrees is the fact that Taz kept on pulling anger away from the ropes and it really put across the terror of the Taz mission that it could be a complete game changer and the moment you lock it in you're close to victory it uh, putting across that finish was really good um and just I kind of get the idea having it that Kurt Angle um has to be saved by Bob Backlund it continues that storyline going along um and it could help really build Taz up as this this um this insurmountable um, enemy that Angle struggles with. So, so far he's lost to him at uh, Royal Rumble. In this one, he couldn't beat him and had to be disqualified. And then considering that you then had the interferences afterwards as well um, with Jericho, there's, I just feel like the build-up for this seemed to really suggest that Taz, Angle and Jericho were going to have some sort of feud going on which seems to be planned for WrestleMania, which, as we know, ends up not happening. And I'm just curious at what sort of thinking went into these moments in that 
Taz has these little moments where he seems to be built up as a badass and a real danger. And then he gets negated into another storyline completely away when they could have taken advantage of it. He's, he's sort of like a, a spare floating part. Um, the sequence afterwards with, uh, with Bob Backlund as well gets a little bit uncomfortable um, when he starts bleeding and he's spasming and that sort of thing. And it's just like what started off as could have been a, re- a really interesting match between a champion and the one person he ha- hasn't beaten uh gradually descended into madness and ridiculousness and just ended up losing me by the end and i feel that this is again a booking issue in this match where they didn't really seem to plan ahead what was going to happen and the law it had no long-term benefits yeah i mean i think this does actually lead to uh, a trouble thing at wrestlemania it just it doesn't involve involved two out of the three of the people involved in this. Uh, try and guess at home which one of the guys in this film doesn't get to be in this match at WrestleMania. <laughs> but, but yeah, it does have an interesting kind of concept. You know, I mean, Angle did kind of beat Taz a few weeks ago, or at least a month or so ago, I think it was. You know, the week started to blur into one. I've been doing this for a while. But like, there was a triple threat uh, a couple of weeks after the Rumble. It was Rock, Angle, and Taz. And that, Rock seemed to have both guys beat. Uh, after like both getting rock bottoms, but then Rock just tried to buy Big Show, and Angle won the match only by just slightly crawling over and having to have his arm on Taz. So he didn't. It's not as if he beat Taz decisively. So yeah, as you say, like he's technically not really beaten Taz, or at least not fairly. And so that was an interesting story that they didn't really capitalize on. Instead, they just like threw Taz in this thing with Bossman and Albert, which served really low. It didn't serve him as much as WWE probably thought it would help him. Yeah, yeah Bob Backlund being paired with Angle, I can see what they're going for because Backlund was champion. He was the All-American good guy. You know, Angle had the character he has now back then. He would be the most over thing, but I think it's meant to be that that character isn't over in this period of time, whereas like people don't care about that kind of character and that makes him a heel when he would have been a face years ago. And it's kind of similar to what Backlund did when he came back in the new generation era where he was no longer a role model and he went a bit crazy. And mm-hmm. so you can see why he and Angle go together. But I'm pretty sure this is going to be a very short partnership because I forgot, I forgot all about this. And I don't think some people watching this back probably would remember these two were ever together. Yeah, um, I, I like the um, comparison between Angle and back, uh, Backland, especially like it would have been a case that when Angle, if Angle had debuted in like the uh, late 80s, early 90s, he might have still been soon enough that he could have been a face. But from about 97 onwards, you can put, be with the attitude here, you can tell that these characters aren't being looked at the same way, especially if you look at Rocky Maivia, for example, when you compare that um, when he started and had it that he was put, he was acting very much like an old fashioned baby face. The crowds just did not gel with it at all because it was becoming very cliched and one note. So this is one of the things I love about Angle's early character is they take what could have been a very one note, terrible babyface character and made him a multi-dimensioned heel character. And that really comes into cl- more clear when you look at Backlund versus Angle. However, if you were going to, if you're going to make that a big deal, I feel like you could have done it for longer 
mm-hmm. instead of like what probably turns out to be what three four weeks and it just seems very much oh we'll do this and then so, as soon as they do it they go oh let's not do that uh, it's just like make a decision make a decision have a clear line of what it is you're trying to do because you keep you keep on creating more issues when you don't well we've had a lot of fun so far but it's time to stop having fun and go back to the handicap matches as uh, Xbox is explaining to Rodog how much he doesn't want to deal with Kane and then we've got Xbox and Rodog with Kane because Kane again tried to get to Xbox but Xbox managed to escape while Rodog felt the wrath of Kane when uh, Rodog and Xbox were having a match with Tukul back on Raw Kane uh, first summoned to the Rock like those both guys around here summoned to Kane's match with the Dudleys where he's in control a lot of it but they do get some managed to get control of the match you know, they get some cute shots in behind the rest back. Uh, they both try and suplex game, but then he ends up suplexing them. Uh, the referee does get knocked down, and which leads to Tori getting involved. And King goes to Tombstone yet again, but this time uh, the guys get a chair because the ref's obviously down at the chair. X Factor on the chair. And Xbox and Road Dog actually managed to beat Kane, which means that Xbox and Road Dog are tougher than the Dudley Boys, who are the tag team champions. Well, that doesn't surprise me, considering that Road Dog and X Pack had to be put over last week, uh, uh, despite the fact they were a brand new tag team. Um, uh, I've I've got a lot of opinions about this match. I'm not going to lie. Do you want me to spew them out now, or do you want me to wait a little bit <laughs> and let you let you discuss as much as you want about the match, and then just? Uh, concede the floor for me to rant <laughs> I don't really have much I think it is a bit frustrating that Kane again like it does it is starting to make Kane look a bit foolish because again he can't beat these two guys on his own after he beat after he beat up the Dudley so badly last week and again it's just putting off and putting off what we already know is going to come where Kane eventually will kill Xbox but I think given that they decided oh we're, we're so close to me let's not have Kane win it no way let's save it off to Wrestlemania but I WrestleMania is not even going to be in a singles match, so like they, miss, I think they really missed the boat. No way, not having Kane just kill Xbox there and have them both move on with their lives. So it feels like we're just kind of buying time for WrestleMania and something for a culmination of a story that already should have came, where Kane just gets his hands on Xbox because it just seems like Kane gets beaten by Xbox and it still chases Xbox. So weirdly, it seems like Xbox should be sympathetic by this point because Kane won't stop bothering him. It's just that Xbox is so detestable <laughs> that you still want to see him get killed but as far as the match itself I really don't have many thoughts because I kind of could see where it was probably going to go yeah so the the let's talk about one of the few positives which is that Tory can now uh, equal the Bob Orton levels of selling when it comes to an injury because just <laughs> like Bob Orton in his arm cast she's had that neck brace just as long it seems but so so all my thoughts about this rivalry, because I've never really had a chance to talk about it before. So I'm pretty sure this rivalry of X-Pac has been going on since I think it was November. So around about Survivor Series, etc. Now, you're telling me that X-Pac doesn't want to have anything to do with Kane. But you then got it that X-Pac and World Dog get booked into a handicap match against Kane, which is what Kane wanted. But it was supposed to be done as a punishment against Kane, even though it's exactly what he wanted. And then you've got it that... 
X-Pac is saying beforehand he doesn't want to face Kane. But then why is it when X-Pac is in the ring, he's not instantly running to the corner to tag in Rodok? Why is it that what he's saying and what he's doing are two opposite things? Because God forbid he actually puts over what the supposed story is. Um, The booking between Kane and X-Pac is so nonsensical as they go along that they seem to build up more shit on top of more shit of ridiculousness. Because like you said, with a no-host barred match at No Way Out, you would have thought surely Kane could have won that because that was suited for him. He was a big red monster and he got this opportunity to finally destroy this guy that he's hated for months. And then if he did, the feud would end because X-Pac isn't going to want to go after him. But instead, you have X-Pac wins and that means the feud has to continue because Kane hasn't got his revenge so it's to the point of ad nauseum, which then makes me think that if you're going to have to continue this feud, would it not make more sense that instead of having Kane lose again, you have Kane win this match? Because one, that shows that Triple H and Big Show don't get everything they want their own way, trying to book all of their rivals into matches and them losing. Two, you can have X-Pac run away, which then ties into the story better because it's the sort of thing he'd have done at this point because he doesn't want to face Kane. So he'll avoid it as much as possible. He would only be in the match if Kane's already down. As soon as Kane gets back up, X-Pac shits his pants, tags in Road Dog and runs off. And then if X-Pac has ran off, you get a singles match and then it becomes believable that Kane would be a danger and would be able to take, uh, to defeat road dog because road dog can take the loss. It's nothing to do with him. He can say I was left by X pack. And this is where you can finally build up to getting that final match where they can put the tie on it because it should have been ended by now, but instead they kept it going. It's getting more nonsensical and it ends up just feeling like a placeholder for all three superstars. while the WWE decides what story they can replace it with. And then on top of all that, with the unclean finish from DX in order to defeat Kane, yes, that may protect Kane to some degrees, but at this point, it just feels repetitive. It just feels frustrating. I mean, we watched the matches in December or whatever it was with um, X-Pac interfering two weeks in a row to help the Hardy Boys defeat... Um, uh, uh, no, to help uh, the New Age Outlaws defeat the Hardy Boys. So we saw that two, two weeks in a row. We saw it at the Royal Rumble where X-Pac got involved and helped the New Age Outlaws. We see these unclean finishes again and again and again, and eventually there has to be repercussions, which would have happened surely at No Way Out, and instead they did nothing. They continued it. They fell back on, let's keep this going because we have nothing planned for WrestleMania. And then what could have ended up being a big match at WrestleMania going beyond the no-host bar where Kane could finally get a huge victory at WrestleMania. They don't even get to that point. They they, they, they completely ruin it by changing it into a tag team match. And we'll go into more details over the weeks as we go through. But Every step where they, where it feels like this is what they should do, they do the complete opposite. Instead of killing off this feud when it's still strong and has a lot of fire, they keep it going until it burns into a whisper and ends up like a fart in the wind. It's about it's starting to get it's starting to get as enjoyable to watch as a catheter syndrome. You know, it's just like there's no positives to it whatsoever, and it gets frustrating. And uh, it actually gets to a point that. Whenever Kane and X-Pac storyline comes back on screen, I sigh and think, not again. 
And considering how good Kane can be as a character and how fascinating he could be and what a benefit he could be, it's a mistake. And I feel it must be especially gutting for you that you have to continuously see this shit happen. Considering the Kane's your favourite, you want to see him do something beneficial and actually worthwhile. And instead, all you get is him being screwed over by DX again. I'll tell you what, if the, if you put a notch on the bedpost for as many times as Kane gets screwed over by DX, the bed would fucking break. <sighs> yeah, because Kane has some okay feuds later in 2000. You know, he has stuff where he's being occupied. You know, he's got a feud later in 2000 that's definitely not about coffee. No, but, no, uh, it's uh, caf- uh, not caffeine orientated at all. No, but then, like, I, I do want to see this feeling because, like, they had the yeah, they had a match at uh, Survivor Series, which ended in the DQ. Then Kane got a very definitive one over Xbox Arm again in the cage match, which I would recommend people check out because I remember watching that and forgetting how good that cage match was. So then, but then they kept the feet going with Tori getting involved, and then they had the no hold barred match, which again should have been like where Kane got the win because. Kane like went away for a couple of weeks before nowhere, and then after it was revealed that Tori was a sex fuck, and then did a big dramatic return and beat everybody up because they like doing that with Kane Undertaker, like taking them off TV for however long, even if it's just for a few weeks, just so they can have a big dramatic return where they come out and beat some people up, uh, which is always funny to see. But then, like I mentioned, there's going to be like a tag match at WrestleMania where this finally ends. But like you went from cage match, no holds barred match, to a straight up tag match. Which kind of feels like a bit of a damp squib of a ending to this feud, especially if Kane's going to get involved. Like, especially if Kane's going to like get his come up and like on Xbox. You know, even if you just had Kane Xbox again, like give it, you know, some or either Kane put something on the line where he has to leave with finally leave, and Xbox will be done with Kane if he leave, if he wins, or make it an inferno match between Xbox and Kane at Mania, because you know Xbox is a well-known stoner, so they can make a bunch of burnt-out jokes on commentary, as you know they probably would do. <laughs> so, like just anything, you know, that would make this like WrestleMania match instant. But I'm not looking forward to it. And it is sad because Kane is my favorite wrestler. This could have, like, I think Xbox has even said like he was offered a match with Jericho at WrestleMania, but turned it down in order to finish the feud with Kane. And he said that I probably should have just taken a match with Jericho. And you know, I, I, what started off as a promising feud where you were waiting for Kane to, you know, beat up Xbox and just move on with his life, uh, despite. But now we've been kept waiting for that for so long that you know this feud every time they come out there is welcome. As Billy Collins would say, they're as welcome as a part in an elevator. Uh, an elevator that then breaks down and you can't get out of for the next three fucking hours at this rate because that's it. Every you could you should be able to compress this feud into like a 15, 20 minute video, maybe if you don't include the matches. Instead, at this rate, you can put it into probably a three hour session. Um, without the matches and at the end of it feel completely underwhelmed. Um, it's just, it, it's just, it's just bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. I do feel sorry for X Pac because this is probably one of the situations that really caused his go away heat because despite the fact he was really hated by the crowd because there was there, nothing was changing. He wasn't changing his character. He was sticking to the same thing. Um, and, it did. It probably didn't help that they kept this feud going for so long, and I do think that there's two sides to X Pac's decision to not have the match with Jericho. Is that one? Um, his match with Jericho probably would have been a lot better and probably more enjoyable, and it would have been it. 
would have been a nice uh, nice reward, but just it would have been a case then everyone's saying, why did they not finish the feud with him and Kane? Now, if they'd had it that Kane had won the no-host-barred match, they could have done so, and that would make more sense. But again, they only make that decision in retrospective, and I don't think anybody gains anything from this feud. Everyone comes out of it worse than when they started. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we'll move on from sitting all over my favourite wrestler to my, my least favourite wrestler, Steve Blackman. Up next, <gasps> he's taking on Jeff Hardy. And backstage, uh, backstage, Elston introduces him to a fan of his. So, you know, this guy's clearly got something wrong with him. He's one of the biggest Steve Blackman fans. They get a photo together, but as soon as Al Snow leaves or turns his back, uh, Steve Blackman just punches this fan for no reason. And then they just leave because uh, Blackman's got a match with Jeff Hardy. Like, I, I make note of everything that happens on Raw just in case it ties in in any interesting way or I feel like people need to know about it for SmackDown. Blackman, this continues on for Blackman fighting Matt Hardy on Raw. This is why I put for that match on Raw. Blackman beats Matt Hardy. <laughs> I, I, I actually gave you a second just in case, like, the sound had cut out or something like that. And then I was, oh, no, that is actually it. That yeah, is no, actually that. just it. <laughs> yeah, uh, that is. That, is that, that match one Raw was so boring. So boring. And then I wasn't looking forward to this match, but they did have a spot in it that I think I've seen, like, a gif of it before. But I didn't realize this was, like, where it happened, where Jeff goes to do his, like, run across the barricade. But Blackman jumps off the barricade and meets him and just hits a backdrop. Jeff on the outside, which I had to admit is a cool looking spot. It is an awesome spot, and I've seen it several times, and I absolutely love that moment because I think um I think it really speaks to Blackman's character, especially is that Jeff is this um sort uh high flyer who takes risks, but Blackman basically is just as uh capable and just as agile as Jeff, but he's a no bullshit kind of guy. So whereas Jeff will like, jump up and make a big thing of like running and diving off, Blackman just jumps up and goes alley oop and throws you the fuck <laughs> over his back over his shoulder and smashes you on the ground. Um, and you're probably going to be disgusted with this. I fucking love Steve Blackman. I legitimately believe he's a solid hand in the ring. I think he deserves more credit than he gets, um, especially in the hardcore division. I think the Hopefully later in the year you get to see what he's like in a hardcore division and grow to appreciate him like I did. But I feel his work with Al Snow is really good because um, it really allows Blackman to develop an interesting personality. Uh, I think the segment with his biggest fan actually did make me laugh. I, I It was completely in character when Al Snow was like, what? What just happened? And Blackman was like, oh, he's just got something wrong with him. Uh, and they go on. And even the fans seem to start having a connection to uh, Head Cheese because you had it that Al Snow was, as they were walking down to the ring, was motioning to the fans to chant Head Cheese. And then every time Blackman looked at him, he was like, I'm not doing anything. Uh, <laughs> and I just feel these two characters bounce off each other so well. And I'm, I, I wish they had been kept together longer. And I've, 
Jeff gets gets some really good reactions in this match, as as of course he will, because he's his usual high flying self. He has a very flashy style that grabs the audience's attention, and then the whole uh, Matt obvious uh, uh, Steve Blackman is obviously the entire the entire opposite, where there is no flash to him. He is just playing simple, kick the crap out of you, and I actually feel. He is unlucky because he would be better suited for nowadays, where I think that would come across as much better and people would be uh, more open to it because they'd be like, actually, he may not have much of a personality, but he can kick the shit out of people and that makes him awesome. Um, I I will always defend Steve Blackman. Um, and I will say that he is one of my boys. I love that man. <laughs> He's one of my boys. I've got, I've got time for Blackman. So... Um, I think the finish, I think, I think also makes sense. I'll let you uh, go into detail on the finish, first of all, but I, I do have my own thoughts on it as well. Yeah, like, I, have, I have nothing against Al Snow, even though he's in our big time Fox Hall of Fame. Well, that's a long story, but he's funny, but he's black. I mean, when you have so little personality, the fact that you have no personality has to be made into a story, which is one of the things you're most known for in your wrestling career. Then you know you've got an issue that you're a bit boring. Like Blackman, if he was right now, he's no like the kind of criticisms that some people falsely put on the likes of Cesaro and that oh they're good wrestlers, but they can't cut promo or they're not got much personality. Those types of people, that's what those are true about Blackman. He cannot talk, save his life. He's martial arts kicks that they keep calling because they can't think of anything else to call. Just anything he does is oh that martial arts esque move that he does. They don't even look always look that good. I mean, the match itself with him as hardcore champion, I've seen a little bit of, so I'm looking forward to that. So I'll hopefully be a bit entertained by by Blackman. But right now, I'm just not bothered at all. I mentioned before, he's the plain toast of wrestling, Steve Blackman. And Jeff, with his usual spots on the springboard, moonsault, twist of fate, and everything. But see here, a lot of people don't realize that technically, Hedges were kind of heelish in, as a team because when Al Snow got paired with Blackman, he was still coming off a run as a heel before eventually they. Like, sorry, becoming over his head cheese. But Al Snow actually cheats to help Blackman win here because he pulls him out of the way of the twist of fate. Right, he pulls him out of the way of the swanton and Blackman hits his, quote, martial arts kick. He never even hits it to the face. He, hits him the, he kicks him in the chest, which I've always found weird. And then Blackman gets the win. So this over-team, uh, this over-comedy tag team use heelish tactics in order to get the win, which is a weird mixed message, I think. It is a slightly mixed message. I agree with that. It's um, basically like, but what's interesting is that Blackman doesn't doesn't seem to realise that Al Snow has gotten involved. So Blackman seems that might have more honour than that. And we'll 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 see for certain as we go along. But um, it's that it does create that interesting wrinkle still between the two of them that Al Snow is willing to interfere to help Blackman. Whereas Blackman, as far as he knows, uh, won it quite cleanly, which creates this interesting um, complexity between the two of them. Um, the martial arts kick from the top rope does make sense to me to get the finish because uh, let's be because truth is, if you got kicked in the chest, you're probably not going to have the ability to kick out of a pinning attempt. So for me, that that finish makes sense, and I also think it makes sense for Blackman and now Snow to win because as Good as Jeff and Matt are, they're still not used to being singles wrestlers. They're still tag team wrestlers first and foremost. Whereas in comparison, Blackman and Al Snow have always been 
singles wrestlers. So therefore, it makes more sense for them to win. Now, having it that Jeff gets so close um, but doesn't win actually helps in the building of his character because it shows he has the potential to be a singles wrestler. He's just not there yet. So from character point of view, I feel like all of the finish makes sense overall. And I think it really talks to each of their individual characters and how they are built. Um, I didn't mind the match because I, I don't mind Jeff and I like Steve Blackman and I love head cheese. So um, watching this match actually put a mild smile on my face, which I know sounds daft, but um, I will, I will go to bat for Steve Blackman every time. Um, so why this, uh, why you may say this is the white bread of the wrestling to be fair. I don't mind plain white bread, so I'll just, I'll just take it and be happy. Fair enough. You know, we've all got to have our boys, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think I agree that like, definitely I don't really know how to be like singles wrestlers, but it does feel weird that he said like Edge and Christian have lost a lot of momentum to make the fact that they are, they are the number of contenders for the tag team titles. But like Jeff and Matt, since losing that match, even though Jeff got a really good showcase up until the finish against S.A. Rios uh, last week, and then you had Matt losing a Blackman on Raw. Like, it looks like they just did nothing for these guys. Like, they took Terry away from them. Like, like, okay, Terry's not doing anything for them. But them just being on their own is not doing anything for them either. So, again, they're, they're still looking for that thing that will help the Hardys like, get to that next level because... They are over our tail and everything. They're really good in the ring, but just they're really missing something. And maybe that's something that they're missing. Maybe accompanied Jeff's opponent to the ring last week. Maybe. Who knows? But we'll move on to another handicap match. This time a tails match. Uh, prior to this, I don't know if it was right before or early in the night, but we had the Dudleys backstage basically talking about how grateful they are they get to put the rock through a table in D1. So they want to remind you to give, make sure you give Stephanie a big kiss next time he sees her. Yeah, the Dudleys, yeah, tables match also them and coming to this as those damn Dudleys because they're at it again with the putting women through tables. This time, poor Mae Young got put through a table on the, on the Rob prior to this uh, after a match with M- Mark Henry, I think, in Devon, which Mark won. It wasn't very really eventful, but uh, quickly after the match, uh, the Dudleys did a 3D on him. Mae Young tried to help uh, Mark Henry, but then she got put through a table. Like, and even Cheryl Lawler, who constantly makes old jokes about Mae Young and everything, and always defends heels, like, it was a very serious moment where he, he was like, oh, like, no, you can't get can't, no, no, she's an 80-year-old woman and all that. It's a very classic moment um, of Mae Young being put through the table, and um, I have to say fair play to her for having um, balls of steel, basically, and being willing to go through that. Um, it was definitely an impactful moment, Um uh, because it shows the nastiness of the Dudley boys, like round about that time when they were starting to maybe get a bit more likable because they were at, they weren't too bad in the ring and that sort of thing. And they were tag team champions. This is almost like a whiplash effect where they go, no, actually we're still nasty motherfuckers. Um, so it's a very important, important moment to some degrees. And I'm glad to have seen it. Uh, just because it really builds up the Dudley boys as villains. And the only negative with it is that um, it, Mark Henry never really uses it to go anywhere, which he could have done. Um, it could have been it could have been a really good opportunity for him to 
build up a more serious side to him, whereas at the moment he was just too comedic. So the in in regards to Mark Henry as a lost opportunity, um, but it does seem like it was perfect. It was almost time so that the Duddy Boys could be could be reminded as being nasty bastards, so that they can then be prepared to take on the Rock, and it seemed like an intimidating thing. But I'm not sure that powerbombing an 80-year-old woman makes up for the fact that they uh, had a handicap match against Kane and got completely uh, manhandled in it. So it's very mixed messages in terms of how the Dudley boys are being presented. Yeah, definitely. And I'm pretty sure shortly after Smeller try and push them as faces, which is really hard to come back as as faces after you spent a good few months putting women through tables. But that's 2004, yeah. So, yeah. And Mark Henry, like, he comes back later on at Raw, but then he's like, it's beaten up by the Dudleys anyway, so it doesn't really get much revenge for Mae Young. And I don't know if I know it, but somewhere on SmackDown, I believe there's a segment where Mark Henry and Mae Young are outside some medical centre with Kevin Kelly. She's in a neck brace, and he's like, how are you feeling? Like, how the hell do you think I'm feeling? And Mark is all sad. He just somberly he wheels Mae Young away, he's feeling all upset, and... You get really no results to that, but as far as the Rock's match, I think the Rock does have a lot of control at the start. Like he's matched earlier on, he's using like weapons, like the ring bell, using a steel chair. There's a, a double clothesline spot on the ramp because the Dudleys, for some reason, speak to tag team champions, try to walk away from the Rock. Mm. Uh, but then eventually, the Rock goes for the people's elbow, ends up getting speared by Bubba, and the Rock ends up actually putting Bubba Ray through a table, but at this point, he actually looks exhausted, where like he, needs, he knows he needs to put Devon through a table. Uh, but even though Bubba's taking it out of the match, Bubba still sticks around to help Devon. They end up hitting the Rock with a chair, 3D through the table. The Rock gets put obviously through a table, and the Rock's obviously now at hurt because he didn't seem that hurt after his match with the Radicals because he didn't really use many weapons. He just like put the boots to him for a bit. But the Rock had plenty of time to recover, as we mentioned earlier on. They didn't like make it happen like immediately afterwards. So the Rock had plenty of recover, so the, the Dudleys took a fair beating at the start of it, but eventually the Rock got put to a table, which is obviously what Triple H and Stephanie wanted. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the fact that the Rock goes on the attack. I like the fact that he keeps that he keeps Devon and Bubble Ray separated for quite a substantial amount of the match, uh, using the ring bell and the steel chair to equal the battle. And it it's a really good building up of hope for the audience in that he he uses his intelligence to keep them separate, to keep them down, etc. And it, it builds up quite well. Um, like you, I was not fond of the Dudley boys walking up the ramp to get away from the rock. I felt it made them look weak. Um, and it probably didn't help either that Bubble Ray spent half the match looking like he was concussed, uh, which is actually quite likely. Um, the rock bottom to Bubba Ray through the table, I thought was a really good hope spot. It was just enough that as one-on-one, the rock can possibly do it and it will build, it helps the crowd start believing in him and chanting for him. Um, but it's afterwards when both men suddenly finally get to attack him, that it's too much and he gets put through the table. Now, I don't know whether you noticed this, but 
the leftover parts of the broken table end up looking a little bit like an arrow, as if to say, put the next table here. <laughs> like, almost like when you get on a game screen, it says, like, enter this room. Uh, it, it just looked like, put the next table here. And then the fact that The Rock put it exactly where the arrow said he was supposed to tickled me tremendously. And I was like, that is absolutely brilliant. Um, and then obviously the Dudley Boys win. Now, I will say, despite my initial misgivings, I would be lying if I said this wasn't an enjoyable match. It was fun for what it was. Um, the Rock is really entertaining, charismatic. It's very difficult to dislike his matches. And the Dudley Boys sold quite well during it. The Dudley Boys got a good victory. Um, the Rock looked relatively strong, battling as hard as he did. Uh, and the crowd was suitably invested. And even afterwards, when The Rock is refusing to be out, it, one, it's not a surprise, and two, it makes him look quite tough. There were just these those little errors that I wish could have been squeaked out a little bit. Like if they had had it that it had occurred straight after the Radicals match to make it seem more more sense to have the rock on the attack because he's desperate and he's trying to get the match done as as quickly as possible instead of resting for I think what was nearly an hour by this point. So he's almost fresh in comparison. It doesn't make sense to me. There were these little little moments that I wish they had snipped in order to make it work more smoothly. But I would be lying if I said there were some positives or some elements of it that I liked Um, in terms of like it actually being enjoyable. It eventually got me on side and the crowd is invested and you can't ask for anything more than that. If the crowd is suitably invested, then they have done their job and all three have done deserve plaudits for that at least. Yeah, I mean, at least the rock, like you said, like he, he's you know, they're trying to give him medical attention, but he's looking at the beer, like baby face, like refusing it. But then also he does. We do see him like once more after this, and at least when he comes out later on, he's actually selling the injuries from earlier on, where he actually like got put to the table because he wasn't really selling what happened with the radicals earlier on because he, you know, if there was anything to sell, he would he had all that time to recover. So like yeah, for the most part, like, the Rocks is using all these weapons to try and gain some because he knows he's in another two-on-one event disadvantage. This time with these guys who have become fond of using tables, so I think the Rock realizes what kind of situation he's in. So it does make this one of the more enjoyable like, matches so far, especially the handicap matches. And this was a, a random thing to have in the middle of the show because we had a couple of title matches, but just a quick reminder with no build or anything going on. That, uh, Oh yeah, the women's title is still a thing as mm. Jacqueline defends against Ivory, you know, Ivory who doesn't get a lot of credit and, you know, I think you're, it goes back to what you were saying last week about how why Lita got so over because we'd seen women's wrestlers who are very capable but they only got allowed to really do the, like, the basics whereas Lita was doing all these hurricane rides and insults and things like that, mm. whereas here in this very short match Ivory and, and Jacqueline you know, Ivory gets chased around the ring at the start of it as a bulldog, you know, like foot over DAT, and like they do very basic moves, and the crowd is very silent for what it, for the hair on the scores. Ivory does get a foot on the rope at one point, but I mentioned a foot over DT, that's the move Jacqueline kind of uses to win. So, you know, it's kind of out of nowhere for her to use, but does this woman's tail match have much of an impact on you? Um, 
to be honest, I think my thoughts um, were took longer than the match itself. Um, uh, the, it, it's depressing the little reaction that Ivory gets, especially considering the best effort she'd made to make the women's title uh, relevant in 1999. I remember your article you wrote about it, and it w- really resonated with me thinking about the hard work she was putting in for it and getting nothing for it. Um, you have it as well that when Jackie... Uh, comes in, she gets an actual response from the crowd, which is nice, but amazingly, this match is longer than the light heavyweight championship match, but it very much feels like its placing is as a relative cool-down for the audience. They've just seen The Rock versus the Dudley Boys, um, and it was a very high-octane match in comparison. This is a cool-down for the crowd and a cool-down for the announcers, especially as they spend the entirety of the time talking non-stop about The Rock. The only thing that really probably made an impact and was memorable was when Jackie hit a clothesline and Jerry Lawler says that would hurt an Adam's apple and then goes, women don't have Adam's apple, do they? And that just said to me that basically J.D. King Lawler doesn't really pay attention to women from the neck up. Um, But for a women's match in the year 2000, it was solid. It was just unfortunately treated like every other women's match at the time. Yeah, you mentioned that article, yeah, I did on there. Broke opinions for Chris, say if you guys would check that out. Guys like Anthony and Carl have been doing more regular like stuff on there. And mostly like sport related stuff, if you're into that. Where I said like it was the things I'd learned from watching SmackDown '99 that I'd maybe forgotten about, and I mentioned I gave Ivory a lot of credit. Overall, by the cultured vultures, uh, me and Sam both write for that we there's a series going out at the minute by mostly by uh, Matt from over there. He's doing it uh, unsung heroes of the attitude. He's done ones on Ken Shamrock and Gangrel. I have been uh, working on a on one about Ivory, so that may be coming out soon. Hope maybe I'll be out by the time that. This episode comes out, maybe it'll be about to come out, so keep your eyes out. Keep your eyes peeled social media for that, or Culture Vultures uh, the website mm-hmm. for that article. But Ivory does uh, need... Ivory does deserve a lot of credit. That's kind of just Jacqueline, you know, they're both Hall of Famers now, which is nice. Uh, what's weird is that the woman who's the next person to hold the Women's Championship doesn't really defend it, and yet I think it does more uh, keep it prominent on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're referring to, and I even remember the match where she won it. Um, it's depressing that the most relevance the women, the women's title would seemingly have for the first half of the year is basically um, appearing on a shoulder, but not in a match. I mean, I'm somewhere, somewhere in the 2001, sorry for spoilers, people, but I'm pretty sure Ivory does get it back, which I'm, I'm counting the days until Ivory gets that belt back. She deserves it. Uh, don't so, don't bother, don't bother. You, it, it's it. Don't bother. <laughs> I remember her title reign. Um, you, you'll just be disappointed. <laughs> but when when we when I was looking at watching SmackDown, they said that the light heavyweight title match was the first of four title matches. So we had that light heavyweight title, the title, the women's title. And I thought, like, I couldn't see when I was going along the like the bit where you can skip between matches and segments on the network couldn't see a fourth title match because for some reason there wasn't a bit where you could skip to for this next match maybe the network somehow forgot about it but we do have Crashley defending the hardcore title against Albert coming up next and one of the biggest wastes of screen time I think we've seen so far because like yeah it's funny you see Crash in the hardcore title but like uh, Crash comes out he hides behind part of the stage 
to and leaves his scales out. So when Albert comes out, he just sees the scales jumping down. Like, what the hell's Crash? So Crash tries to jump Albert and fails miserably. And they quickly wrestled in the ramp into the backstage area. There's a they wrestled into the back of a truck, and then there's a laundry bin where he gets put into it, and then just rolled along, and it hits into a, a goal like a hockey goal, and uh, you hear somebody when they come to shout goal. And then, like, Albert's beating up Crash. Amy Street Posse attack. But, and then Rodney chases Crash away while Albert brawls with Pete Gass and Joey Abs. And for whatever reason, the camera decides, let's not follow the champion getting chased and eventually a referee going with them. Let's follow Albert and the other into the Amy Street Posse brawl back into the ring and getting beaten up in front of a disinterested crowd who probably want to see what Crash is up to. And then just Albert's music awkwardly hitting our walk away. As if he doesn't care about the hardcore title anymore. To be fair, it's very possible that he didn't because um, uh, he. I think he was less confused by the hardcore title being on the scales and just the fact that there were scales in general, whether or not he thought he'd accidentally walked into a weightlifting competition instead. Um, <laughs> Crash deserves a lot of credit because he's just like Teflon, any move and he bounces back up again. Um, or like a spring, if you if you probably pushed him down a flight of stairs, he would just bounce back up again. Um, the it degenerates into complete and utter madness. I have to admit, with Albert battling Joey Abs and Pete Gas and Rodney chasing Crash out of the building. Um, but what um, what I have to admit, this was awful, but I loved it still. I'd be lying if I said I didn't because of how awful it is. It is the sort of awful that. I can at least enjoy because it's just a palate cleanser. So like the women's match and this have both been palate cleansers basically for what's about to happen. But it, this is going to depress you even more. Continue again, our ongoing series. This was the original main event of the show until the handicap matches were booked. So this could have been your main event of the evening. Imagine if this was what you got for your main event after you paid your tickets. How would you have felt? Very disappointed, Jamie. I thought, like, I, was, I, thought I felt better about the handicap match being booked. I thought, like, if it was booked at the start of the show and not half, halfway through, then maybe there was more planning involved than the, in the main event and to maybe make up for the fact that last week we didn't have a main event until, like, halfway through. Mm. So... Now that you've brought that up, thank you for further depressing me that, you know, I would love to see Crash in the main event, but Albert at this stage, definitely not. Yeah, you, you're not, unfortunately, Albert is not someone that you rush to pay tickets to see. Um, it's just not going to happen, but uh, Crash Harley in the Hardcore Championship, uh, you might put a fiver down for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's definitely, it's it, 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 like I said, I'm going to keep on looking at this every week because it's really fascinating to see what the original main event surely could have been in comparison, if not for the matches they book on the show. Um, I'm curious to hear what the actual main event would have been for the previous war if they hadn't booked the cage match. But I'm, I'm assuming you didn't notice and you're not going to go back and check. No, because I don't, I don't note them down in order when they happen. I just uh, down. Like I bunch stuff together, like okay, that's the thing happened, and later on there was this match that tied into it. So I don't. Whereas I note down things in chronological order for SmackDown, but I'm, I'm assuming that it probably wouldn't have been that interesting. It may have been, could have ended up being fucking Blackman versus Matt Hardy for all I remember. 
and that would have been the best main event ever. And I would have put, I would gladly have put down seven pound fifty for it uh, to watch that event happen because um, I would have just been able to get a picture of Steve Blackman as his second biggest fan ever, and then send you a picture of it so you can go fuck sick <laughs> and just be really unimpressed. <laughs> well. I mean, I think my main issue with this Art Cartel thing is that it's really not in keeping with what we've seen so far. Like, everything over the last two weeks has been really good with Crash Anderson and 24 7 thing, but this just didn't add anything. Like, if you had them brawl in the ring and then brawl at the backstage with I mean, your boss getting involved, fine, but like, at least, and Crash does escape, which he wanted to do, but like, don't focus on Albert and Tumor the Major Boss, especially in the fact they don't have a referee. With them because the match has pretty much been thrown out. Really, when you think about it, so it doesn't really. There's no reason for being after they've after crashes not involved. So I don't want to spend any time thinking about it. I'll go back onto the main event. You know, we've got Rikishi backstage with Too Cool, who say they got his back. Rikishi goes in for his match with Big Show and Triple H. Triple H grabs the microphone because he realizes I've not had that enough, nearly enough mic time tonight. And basically says what happens to the Rock earlier on is nothing compared to what's going to happen to Rikishi in this match. And then Rikishi and Big Show after rock, paper, scissors to see who's actually going to start the match. Also, Triple H wins. Rikishi does his best thing at Triple H. Big Show comes in, he hits a clothesline of the show out, out of the ring. Big Show, uh, when he eventually comes in, gets a slam on on, And when Rikishi's been worked over to, so they decide, no, let's go help him. So then out of nowhere, Xbox and Road Dog beat up to kill. So they're just lying in wait for them. And so they can't come out and help Rikishi. Uh, then there's an argument between Show and, and Triple H again, more dissension. Rikishi then hits a super kick and uh, has them both in the opposite corners, goes to Stink Face. Stink Face is Triple H, goes to Stink Face. Big Show definitely distracts the ref off Shane because then hits him with a chair, but Rikishi just no sells the effect of the chair. Uh, that, by, that gives Triple H and Big Show enough time to recover. Choke slam, pedigree, the heels win. And um, before I get, get your thoughts on the match, I'll just talk about the ending angle to close the show because I made a mistake last week. I said that the heels stood tall. No, I said Rock and Triple Rock and Rikishi got the win, but then they had the, the heels shoving each other. I think I got confused with this week's one where Rock comes out with a fight to help Rikishi, but then that fight ends up getting used against him because he's still injured from the tables match. And then I put this as my closing notes for the for SmackDown. He'll beat down to close the show. All hope is lost. I think that's um, a really good way to end it, actually. Um, I have quite a few thoughts um, on this match and segment, basically. Um, there was a lot of random thoughts I had as I go along, so I'm just going to go through them. Um, so the first thing was that this was the first time I'd seen the actual match card for WrestleMania featuring Big Show against Triple H. And mm. that I, I was quite interested in that because that seemed to really be... Um, an example of them trying to show conviction behind the fact that the rock was not getting into the main event. Like they were really trying, they were really starting to crack down on it and make it seem believable because it, the, those sort of like match cards appeared a lot less back then. So when they appeared, it was almost like in stone. Uh, whereas like nowadays they could change three times in a week. Um, so it's, it's not as difficult to make as it used to be. So that really seemed to put a us over the idea that it was going to happen. Um, one of the things I'd actually forgotten was that Big Show used to have Pyro when he did the choke Sam spot in the ring, like when, it, when he stands there uh, at the beginning, because you could see those little um, 
machine bits put behind him the uh, in the pyro shooters basically and i that just made me feel a little bit nostalgic for the use of pyro for wwe back then um this match uh, shows a actually good sign of faith in Rikishi, I feel, uh, because he's obviously got a, a good crowd support. He's gathered it quite well. And this is an opportunity where he's main eventing against the WWF champion and the WrestleMania main event. Now, that is still a big deal because that's n- they're not going to just put anyone in the ring against these two. So that, to me, showed that they were beginning to feel... Um, confidence in him as a character and the connection he had with the audience was getting to the point that he could if not be a main eventer he could be an upper mid carder which is still strong enough a position to make him worthwhile that he could feature in these matches on the smaller shows um i like the way they build into the power difference between rikishi and big show where you have rikishi struggling to pick up big show but you have Big Show picking him up and slamming him with relative ease. I thought that was a really good comparison between the two in, re- in order to really put over how powerful Big Show is. And if those moments occurred more often, I feel um, it would be a reminder to say, actually, Big Show is a fucking monster. You know, it has to be reminded every now and again because unfortunately he's not built up as well as he should be. Um, we got to see the beginning of the biggest feud of the year, which is Triple H versus Earl Hebner, uh, <laughs> as they start pushing each other in the ring. Um, I, thought, I thought it was a, I also thought that it was a clever touch that they had Road Dog and X-Pac actually take out to call uh, when they start making their way to the ring because it really helped build the odds against Rikishi. But then on the other side, they had it literally straight afterwards. The heels begin to instantly implode in the ring. And I feel that the timing of that one wasn't very good. I felt they could have timed that a lot better to really build up the feeling of um, odds being stacked against Rikishi. Because basically the moment that it seemed, oh, he's going to get some help. No, he's not. Oh, never mind, because the heels are turning on themselves. It just felt like a very nonsensical time for that to occur. Um I also do think that it's lucky that X-Pac and World Dog picked the correct uh, hallway to hide in because that would have been really awkward if like, you suddenly cut to the back and they're just like, are Tuchel actually going out? And then they go <laughs> and check. It turns out Tuchel's actually already gone out and saved the day because they went down a different alleyway uh, <laughs> or hallway. So um, it's a really good sign to see the crowd support for Rikishi as he's battling against the odds. They were getting behind him, which I quite liked. Um and I'll even give fair play to Triple H because of his willingness to take the stink face. Um, I don't know whether he would have done that in 2003, but back then he was still <laughs> willing to put over his opponents a bit more. Um, I, the fact that Shane attempted to use the chair to help Big Show and it doesn't work this time because Rikishi is too tough. It continues that storyline from last week where Shane's habit of constantly going to use the chair in order to help Big Show is starting to turn against him. Like the first two times he did it at No Way Out and the first four afterwards, it worked. The, a couple of days after that on SmackDown, he accidentally took out Triple H. Now this time, it's not even good enough to take down Wikishi. So that is a very subtle inclusion that I'm liking that is basically saying Shane's go-to habit is eventually going to backfire on him supremely and even though it took all four members of the coalition to defeat wikishi it wasn't badly done it was just like wikishi seemed to time it well of who he was battling and was getting the momentum 
and had a good chance of winning. And in the end, it just turned out it was too many people. I like the fact that the rock came out and he had a lead pipe with him. I thought that was genius. It really made it believable that the rock was struggling and had to have resort to a weapon. And it sort of like even the odds a bit. But the fact he lost it to Shane very quickly also tells to the story of the fact that it was a case of too many people for the rock to survive against. So as an overall story by the end of the show, I do feel that it builds quite well upon the story from the previous war, where this it's gone from the rock being in control to the heels being in control. And I feel like the growth in the storyline is going very well. So this segment and this match, I would, I would actually say was a win. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but this was a win. So it turns out that of the four handicap matches, two of them were kind of good and two of them were awful. So a 50-50 percentage, well, that's WWE booking to a T, really. So I feel <laughs> it's very appropriate. Um, so those are my overall thoughts on the match. Um, I will uh, concede the floor to you to allow you to discuss your overall thoughts for the episode because I'm pretty sure, as it won't surprise you, I also have thoughts. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I agree with you, say about 50-50, you know, and I think it's the best we could have expected from all these handicap matches because, yeah, The Rock, I think then The Rock is probably going to continue trying to get into the main event starting next week because when we get to next week's SmackDown, we'll uh, have some major, like, um, some major things will happen regards to their Mania main event, and so also that helps tie it into there where it looks like all hope The Rock is lost and looks like we actually are going to get Big Show versus... Triple H, which I admire them actually showing the graphic of it because you know they need to present it as real as possible. If this was real, they wouldn't just be just saying that they'd be showing you the graphic and promoting it as much as possible because they've only got a few weeks to go until WrestleMania at this point. And so you got to promote the hell out of your main event because they say tickets are just about to go on sale. And so obviously you need to be to come across as real as possible. Anyway, they, they came out to help Rikishi. I mean, they weren't, she wasn't even getting involved yet. It wasn't until after she had the sink face that said we had to distract the rest so Shane could come in, which helped give some recovery time to Big Show and Triple H. So I do agree with you, but it did take everybody to kind of beat Rikishi. And like, yeah, chair shot at the back, it just like nothing happened. No, I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to do the thing where Rikishi takes like the unprotected chair shot and no sells it because Samoan equals hard head. You know, that old trope in wrestling. <laughs> but yeah, it seems always not done the rock, so I guess Brock being half someone doesn't get those benefits. I don't know how the I really don't know how these stereotypes in wrestling work. It turns but, out the rock is Samoan, but not too Samoan. Mm-hmm. Well, that actually the finish, even though it's kind of a doom and gloom kind of ending, obviously heels standing tall and everything. From a storyline perspective, it does make sense because uh, Triple H and Big Show, if weird men believe this is the main event, as mean they should have stood tall, and also the rock, they've gotten what they wanted with the rock being injured. So I can't really fault uh, this finish, even though it does seem a bit of a gloom ending. Was like, oh. The heels, the heels stand on. I did jokingly put all is lost because if you're a fan who's so invested in your want, we're rocking with you. Stand tall at the end of the day. It's gonna be kind of a sad, sad ending for you. It's a, it's a sad, sad situation. You're gonna have Elton John and Blue in the background singing in order to give it a really mournful feel uh, as the, as the crowd dissipates into the distance. Um, it, the ending, kind, I felt kind of had to happen because of the fact that. The 
the Rock and Rikishi have been successful the previous week, and now the heels need to get a bit more in control. So it made sense to me because event there has to be a case of where the odds become too much if the heels are the ones booking everything. So even though the Rock and Rikishi and Kane battled as hard as they could against it, there it was too much, and it was it will hopefully be something that will be built upon over the next couple of weeks where instead of having it that the heels are bounding together and working together to take out all the heroes, maybe the heroes can start to learn from it. But that we will have to see. Um, I'm quite, look, this, I will say this leaves me curious to see what happens in the next episode. And I, and I am looking forward to watching it if I'm allowed back. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, like you had some country things to say, but this ending for the most part, there was a lot that we found fault with with the episode. So, even if I wasn't sure about bringing it back, I think I'd bring it back for next week just to hope, on the hope that that's a good episode to potentially go out on, because I couldn't have you go out on this type of episodes. Like, Don't, say like, Don't say that. Don't say that, because I'll start coming up with negatives each week, just so that you have to keep on bringing me back. <laughs> like, with, uh, with, with Smackdown, when I had like guests in, and we'd do like two episodes, usually, I'd always worry about when the second episode wasn't as good because you'd have that first episode that was good, and then they bring it back for a second episode. It was kind of like, oh, like, well, sorry you had to end like this, but thanks for coming in. <laughs> thanks for going through the same pain as I did and now disappearing. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I've enjoyed it, having you here, and I've enjoyed uh, getting to talk about ripping this episode. I imagine hopefully next week is better. Uh, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, one of what I think is one of the best. Like early twenty four seven segments and regards to the hardcore title happens on next week's SmackDown. I won't tell everybody what it is just in case it hasn't happened, but I look forward to talking about that. I look forward to next week and Sam. Uh, I know we've shot on a lot of things, but what actually is there anything on this that you would recommend people go back and check out if you had to recommend one thing from this show? And what would your thumb be? Because you gave it a thumbs up last week. I'm surprised. I'm interested to see where it all end up this week. So I do still so um, have some thoughts in regards to it. I'll say that um, what I found quite interesting was the fact that um, there were nine matches in ninety minutes, um, which is is going to be part of the negative. Now the positive to me is that the show still flies by extremely quickly. Um, there's little downtime. There's very little moments where you're bored, similar to the previous week. The overall story, I feel, is mostly successful. And it also is a very good uh, transitional episode in terms of building upon the war from the previous episode, but also leaving enough questions for you to be curious about what happens next and wanting to come back. And I do feel that with the rock saying he has nothing to lose, it really throws up a lot of possibilities. So there's, there's the positives from that one. The negatives are is that because they've got nine matches in 90 minutes uh, with several segments to be included, there are too many matches. I do. Feel, I, I know it's not something you would normally say, but I feel that they're all very short run times. And in fact, if we looked back, I'm, I even had it written in my notes, I think, that, um, the, that one of the matches was just short of, uh, yeah, the... Kane versus um, X-Pac and Road Dog match was one of the longest matches at six minutes and 54 seconds. And that I, 
if that's your long one of your longest matches, I feel that shows that there's not enough time dedicated to the other matches, which is where then uh, it has an impact, such as Jackie and Ivy only getting a couple of minutes, Crash Harley and Prince Albert getting uh, smooshed into a very short amount of time, the Radicals losing in 130 seconds. These are all issues because, unfortunately, they not only have to fit in all these matches, but they have to fit in several segments as well to build up the story. So I feel they overcooked the um the overall show um and also some of the booking decisions i am uncertain of you know did the radicals have to lose their match cleanly to the rock why would x-pac and road dog be placed against kane why would x-pac stay and fight kane why was christian disqualified when it was Lita who was attacked there were there were several negatives that i feel are diff- are, are impossible to look past i would say the match I would say is worth watching is probably actually, I think, the main event because I think it's a good example of being able to see how Rikishi was being built as an upper mid-carder. To see the potential he had, I think it story-wise is the strongest of the entire show probably in terms of putting across everything it wants to. Um and you also get to see Triple H take the stink face, which you probably never would imagine from 2002 onwards. So there's several good things in that match, and I feel that's one. That's the one I would recommend. My overall, I would have to say, is probably my thumb is in the middle, more up than it is down. It's not as good as the previous weeks, but there are there are more positives than negatives. It's just that the negatives are very glaring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree. I think I'm firmly in the middle here on this one because there are some things that there are on like most weeks where you wonder what was really the point of them, but there are some fun stuff like with the the, the hardcore title stuff with the laundry mat and the, the Rikishi match and the match with the Dudleys and the Raw. That was good. And so, yeah, I don't think I won't judge it too, uh, too harshly. So I'm going to put it thumbs in the middle. If I had to recommend one thing, it'd either be Rock v Dudley's or maybe the hardware title thing in the, ladder, in the laundromat. I'd say, yeah, there's a bit later on with Albert, but I'd recommend people don't check that out. I'd say <laughs> just stick to the bit in the laundromat. Yeah. Once you've seen the laundromat, just walk away. Just walk away. <laughs> <laughs> That's so much easier. Um, I, I, I agree that the second Albert one can be completely dispelled. I, I think similar to last week, there were several positives to the show that you could almost recommend. So that's actually quite good and is better than I expected. I have to admit at one point during the, uh, I would, I would probably say during the Kane match, I was thinking to myself, I am not going to like this episode. And then it almost, it almost sort of like brought itself back in the second half. It's like you had to get through a lot of shit in the first half to get to the good stuff, but it's, it's not an episode you you have to skip, but there are skippable elements to the episode. It's probably the best way to compare it, I think. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But uh, Sam, before we get out of here, because uh, we're wearing the same length that we finished our last episode on, so I think at least we're consistent in some way. <laughs> but let people remind people who didn't check it last week, those who at the back who weren't listening, where people can find you on social media and where they can check out uh, your great work. Uh, so uh, you'll usually find me on Twitter sharing articles that I'm doing, which will be at Big Bad Bruce. That is spelt phonetically Bravo Indigo Golf, 
Bravo, Alpha, Delta, Alpha, and then Bruce, like the shark from uh, Finding Nemo or The Almighty One, played by Jim Carrey. Um, I'm currently writing for Cultured Vultures. I've uh, taken a bit of a step back recently, taken a break, uh, uh, but I'm looking to get back in the swing of things again. Hopefully have some things coming out round about this time. Uh, alongside with Scott, and I'm also writing for WrestleJoy, where I'm currently doing a series on CM Punk's uh, record-breaking WWE title reign, a in-depth analysis of the overall reign, the matches he had, etc. As of this time, part one has been released, and part two, I think, will be released soon, but don't quote me. Um, So those will be the main places you can find me, and every now and again, I will have some articles on a, another website called Film for Thought with a fellow film critic called Amy Smith, who is really good, uh, basically contributing to monthly ultimate choices. The most recent one I've done was my best, uh, my favorite coming of age movie, um, which uh, I'll be curious to discuss if anyone knows it, Mean Creek. And the one I'm currently doing is the, the best film I saw in lockdown. By the time this comes out, she likely would have announced it and shared it. And I look forward to seeing other people's choices. And also I'm curious what the fans of this lovely little get-together, what they would pick <laughs> as their favorite thing of lockdown. Yeah, I'm glad to hear thoughts on that. you got a lot going on. Uh, I also have uh, some stuff in Culture Vultures. I've got uh, an article that's up went up last week about the best um, the ten best sacrifice matches with Impact Wrestling bringing back sacrifice, and I've got a piece of whole ways out by now where I wrote about potential challengers for Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart, the new NXT Women's Tag Team Champions, and I've got I mentioned a piece potentially coming soon on Ivory. I don't know if that'll be out yet, but. Stay tuned if it isn't out already. You can check out, uh, follow me on Twitter. It's coming for 1986. Follow Rogue Opinions at Rogue underscore Opinion. Uh, I forgot to m- mention the plugs uh, when we did it la- our last episode, but it should be about uh, the TV quiz that I hosted uh, along with the other guys from Rogue Opinions. Uh, it's a hell of a chaotic quiz. They hated me for a lot of the questions, but it's a hell of a good time. Go check that out. I'm going to do more quiz stuff in the future because we took a catch of a break from quizzes, but I think I want to do some more going forward. Check back uh, last week's episode in the archives with me and Sam and all the other episodes of the Rogue Retrospective reviews, including the pay-per-view reviews as well. Uh, we're, we're going ahead to WrestleMania 2000. Check out me, Jimmy Nathan's uh, tournament, including the best comic book movie tournament. We've got stuff, podcasts in the archives about the Mandalorian, a new series talking about that. Uh, there's a series talking about movie films with Carl and Liam there's the Badger Munich podcast. Uh, me and Jimmy should have done by now our latest grapple updates, talking about revolution and anything, everything going on with NXT and AEW. What we're going to do with terms of grapple updates in terms of that really busy WrestleMania week, I've got no fucking clue. Yeah. I'm still we'll figure it out. <laughs> but, you know, a lot going on here at Rogue Opinions Towers. But until next time, for myself and Sam, I want to thank everybody for listening to us for another week, and I'll say goodbye. Goodbye!